Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, October 25th. Time for another episode of the Power Hour. We've got the team from Pittsburgh Power here with us. We'll be taking all of your maintenance-related calls, engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is call the number 855-950-3835. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Calls are already starting to come in, so jump in now. Uh, we do have the team here from Pittsburgh Power. I just looked at the board, and they say they are ready to dazzle the listeners with their superior intellect. Let's put them to the test today. Uh, Bruce is up first. Bruce, welcome back. Hello. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. You sound good today. Good morning. Good. We're on the road uh, on our way to Virginia, so... Um, Debbie's driving and I'm talking. Got it. So I have, uh, you know, you and I, uh, talking about running in direct gear and we always talk a lot about the two sixty four gear ratio for the older trucks, older trucks, meaning the nineties through 2008. Uh, And we always kind of thought the heavy haul industry, it wouldn't work. But a 67-year-old gentleman by the name of Gary Johnson, and he should be waiting to come on. His phone number begins with 605, and I think he's from North or South Dakota. He's there. He's going to tell us. You got him? Yep. Okay. He put the 264 gears in. He hauls farm equipment and an Acer Caterpillar with our tune. And he is thrilled. He went from 336s to 264s. He says that he has more power starting out and going through the gears. When he's on hard surfaces, he just starts out in first gear. His very first trip with the 264s was 117,000 pounds. And he was shocked at the difference on the uphill grade. When he normally used 30 pounds of boost, he was down to 18. That's a 144 horsepower drop from getting out of double over to direct. 144 horsepower savings on the level at 64 mile per hour on the level. Now, this is, this is unheard of for an Acer. At 117,000 gross, he's at five pound of boost. On the level. Wow. That's, that's like impossible because if a guy can in, a, in double overdrive with 80,000 at 12 pound of boost, he's doing good with an A-cert because of the twin turbos. Yeah. And uh, just yesterday, he loaded 107,000. He was down into six inches of dirt. He was down in. And he used Granny to get it started and it pulled right out and went into first and on up through the gears. And think about this. Why does he have more power going through the gears? Because he's staying in that gear longer. He's making two less shifts to get the high gear. And he's in the gear longer. So let's say when you're down around third and fourth, you're in that gear for what, two or three seconds, you're grabbing another gear. So he's probably in that gear 
another second, second and a half longer, which allows the engine to continue to pull. The same reason why automatic transmissions overtook four speeds in drag racing because they ship so much faster and it allows the engine to continue to pull. A snowmobile drag race and nothing ever beats the snowmobile drag racing because it doesn't shift. So when you have the 264s and you're going up through the gears, you're in the gear a little bit longer. So the truck has more time to pull. At least that's it, my theory on it. No, it, it oh. you know, everything you sh- that he's claiming about driving through the gears, all that stuff makes sense. That's what we've been telling people forever. You're not going to have less power because of this. You're going to have more. You're going to be more efficient indirect for a couple reasons. One, on the older transmissions, it's all the gear, the, tr- the oil churn or too, turning, you know, too many shafts and gears. So there was about a 3% loss of efficiency in overdrive, the two overdrive gears. And overdrive gears are torque reducers. You lose torque every time you go to one of those higher gears. At, at, and then underdrive gears are actually torque multipliers. That's why he's seeing the power coming through the gears and he's staying in them longer, like you said. Uh, our only concern with heavy haul was always just that startability issue. That was it. Nothing else should have stopped anybody from doing this in heavy haul. It was just, can you get the truck moving? Once you could get it moving, that whole issue goes away. So that was really the only right. thing we were concerned about. Now, guys that are 150, 200, 240, I'm not sure about that if I would try it yet. Not but, not uh, with the old transmissions. We were just talking about this with Volvo's 14-speed. That thing has such a deep reduction, 250,000 pounds with... Uh, you could go really, really high on the gear ratio. I forget the two seventeens, maybe. I forget what the number was. It's yeah. still it, it it's acceptable startability on the chart. Even we're not even fudging the numbers. It it it's workable at two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. They've got such a low uh, gear ratio. And then the other issue with that one. Mm-hmm. We actually spec that one to run in overdrive and direct. And in overdrive, that transmission, because of its design, only loses 1% efficiency in overdrive. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. So it was, it was late in the afternoon when Gary called me and told me all this. And uh, I went home. I was high. I was high on life because <laughs> uh, of the great news. That's, yeah. It's nice to have great news when you're leaving to go home. It sets the pace for the evening. So before we talk to Pete and Leroy, should we talk to uh, Gary Johnson? Uh, yeah, we could bring him While in. we're on this subject? Yeah, we'll bring him in okay. before we change subjects. Let's, uh, he's in Kansas right now. Gary, welcome. Hey, how are you? Good. Sounds like you're good today. Good. Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> Every day you wake up and breathe air, you're doing good. I agree. I agree. Some days are better than others, though. Yep. Exactly. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Before I done this, I know I lost a lot of sleep because <laughs> I didn't know anybody that's ever done this. 
It's uh, you know, it like it, I like I said that that startability issue always stopped us from recommending it. You know, I didn't want to put it in a truck. I had no experience with it with those kind of weights. <laughs> Um, so I didn't want somebody to put it in a truck and go, I, I'm, I'm going to burn up my clutch trying to get this thing rolling. Yep. Yep. Nah, I, I, Kevin, I can't, it, it's unbelievable. I, I have no power, no, no problems taking off anywhere with it. That's excellent. Really? That those kind of weights, uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic results. I'm glad you took the chance. Well, I am too now. <laughs> I'm glad I listened to Bruce because he's the only one I had had any feedback from. Yeah, yeah. Well, fact, my my he, Peterbilt dealer thought I was plumb crazy. Well, yeah, the dealer would, most shops would um, sit sit around the liars counter with a bunch of heavy haulers and tell them the story, and they'll probably all call you the liar. Yep. Right. Yep. But, yep. Yeah, is it? And uh, everything runs so smooth. My oil temp is down about 20, 20 degrees. It's just fun driving again. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. You know, it, fuel economy is awesome. We love when we pick up economy and efficiency, but it's also pretty damn important how much you like your truck. You're in it all day. Nobody wants to drive a truck they don't like the way it performs. Yep, yep. Now I wouldn't do this with a standard motor. I don't, you know. I think you got to have a little horsepower to go with this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, horsepower you certainly know. helps. There's no doubt. Yeah, you know, all those, you know, 18, yep. 18 speeds were developed because we didn't have enough horsepower. You you needed to shift more often to make up for the lack of horsepower. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. And yesterday coming down, I had a, probably a forty mile an hour side wind. And I never took it out of sixteenth gear. We, you know, we. When did you? When did you do this? When was your first trip? Uh, my first trip was last Thursday. Okay, so this is still pretty new. Um, Thirty days out or so, it'll be interesting to see the fuel economy. But based on what Bruce has said about boost, we have to believe fuel economy is going to go up. Well, my first fill-up, I picked up about a mile. But yeah, it's kind of hard to judge in a week, that, you know. That's why we wait about 30 days. You know, what What was the truck averaging the 30 days before you did this? And then what does it average the 30 days after? Now, this is one of the worst times of the year to try to do fuel mileage testing. Because we're, yep. coming, we're coming out of fall weather in most parts of the country, which is just about ideal for fuel economy. Low humidity, um, slightly cooler temperatures, but not cool enough to really have a big impact on aerodynamics. So we're getting our best fuel economy many times in the fall. Then winter hits, and it's the exact opposite. Everything goes to hell as far as fuel economy. So, uh, it, but it, it's it's clear enough when you see a boost change by that much. We're going to see better fuel economy. Well, it'll be easy to track because I'm on your fuel program. So. Good, good. Well, well, we'll love to see that. Yep. But, uh, you know, the first test certainly passed with flying colors. You're smiling about your truck. Yep. It's fun again. Like I told Bruce, it's fun. There you go. Bruce? Yep. Yes. What do you think? Well, I think... Uh, 
I think people that are like 130,000 and less. And if you want to run in direct, then you've got a, uh, a 90s through the early 2000s truck do, with the 264 gears in. Do we happen to know what gear ratio your lowest gear is? Boy, I don't. It'd be it's standard double over 18. Is there such a thing? As a standard, I think some of those transmit, it seems like there's so many different models and some of them are just a gear off here and there. It'd be interesting to get his model number. If we could do that, Bruce, if you could work with him on this, get the model number and we'll sure. pull the gearing chart sure. on that Wait. so we can see what that gear is. Okay. I'll be able to get it tomorrow because I'm going to be driving. Okay. Yeah, um, that'd be good for, for next I'll week, maybe if we can remember. Um, I just like to know for sure what that ratio is. Okay. All right. We will get that. Excellent. Gary, good stuff. Anything else? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm All right. ecstatic. All right. And I, I'd like to thank Bruce the Millions. Yep. All right. Hey, uh, I, yeah, uh, I, Kevin, you probably don't remember, but a month ago, I said, if you remember it, when the Chevy pickup came out with the Duramax diesel, there was a button on the end of the shifter, and that was for the tow button, and that kept you out of overdrive. And that was the statement that made Gary do it. Ah, okay. Interesting. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yep. That's what sold me. There you go. All right. And for, for people that don't know, how I discovered running in direct would be better is back in the... Uh, Around 1983-82, we bought a Chevy Love pickup truck with a four-cylinder Isuzu, normally aspirated. And for some reason, we put a pyrometer on it. And I was going down Route 28 and up over RIDC Hill. And that truck, a lot of times, would run 1,500 degrees or more because that's all the higher the uh, <laughs> pyrometer would go. And, and I came out of 15th gear and went into fourth gear, which was direct. And uh, came down 250 degrees. Wow. And the truck pulled better. Yeah. And I said, no, maybe there's something to this. And I thought about years ago when they first came out with the single over 13. It was called the go home empty gear. And I said, well, and then we tried it on that 359 Pete with the 475 twin turbo big cam that we built to 800 horsepower for the guy that lived out in Martha's Vineyard. And we went from 390s or 411s down to 308s because keep in mind that engine runs at 1700 RPM and up. And he, and we had plus all rubber 24 five at the time. And he was ecstatic with it. He was shocked. And that was the beginning. Yeah, you know, if we could have taken that 13-speed single over and got one good low crawler gear in it, we might have been looking at gear ratios in the 240s instead. And it may have worked. It may have worked even yeah. better. But we, we just couldn't go that high mm -hmm. with the gears we had at the bottom end. Thanks. All right. Well, Gary, we're, we're going to okay. be following you, and uh, I'd love to get that transmission information so we can see what that, that gear is down there. Um, Bruce, did you have anything else? That was a good one. That's all I have. All right. Let's, uh, let's hear from the, uh, the group with the superior intellect. Welcome, guys. 
Hello, Kevin. Did, was, was, was that you or was that Angie that decided to put that in there? I had to believe No, that it was one. Angie. That's <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Leroy, we're going to go to you first today. What's on your mind? Uh, I've been busy uh, making a test. Uh, we're doing some fully documented tests on the max mileage uh, improver. I don't know what the name is of it yet, but um, I'm going to do a full documented test of, you know, before and after on multiple trucks, maybe two to three different trucks. So um, developing the, the drive cycle that, we gonna, that we're going to use that, you know, shows all the different types of loads and engine speeds. Uh, I want to make sure that I include everything as far as um, make sure that the truck is in good health, et cetera. That way there's no questions of, you know, well, maybe they, they did this to skew the results or this. So right. it's been a kind of a bit, and we only have like a two day window to really get the test done. So I'm really trying to uh, get everything planned ahead of time and make sure I have all things considered before we uh, do the test. But Excellent. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've been pretty busy on that. Yeah, well, you understand all those factors, and you realize how complicated this gets. Uh, when I used to do fuel mileage testing with my own trucks, and this was one of the reasons I trusted my results more than almost anything else, we would do 30-day tests, and it, well, actually, they were 60-day tests. We would do 30 days before we made any changes. We would track fuel economy closely, and we would use... Uh, two trucks to test, so but one would be the control truck, and they both ran the same routes every day. I had three trucks that ran the same route every day, uh, out and back, uh, 542 miles, really nice long day for an out and back run, and one truck was the control truck. We made no changes to that truck, but they ran the same routes in the same day within about an hour of each other, so weather was really consistent between the two trucks. If, and you talked about the truck had to be healthy. If anything changed during the first 30 days, before we had even made the modification, if anything changed in that time, that could have affected fuel economy, we'd start over. Like a tire. Blow a tire and oh. had to put a new tire oh, yeah. on the truck. Oh, no, we got to start over again just on the first 30 days. Yeah. So there were times where you'd get, you know, 45 days through the test and something would break on the truck and you'd go, huh, well, we got to start over again. But there were also times where we saw a fuel mileage gain on the truck and we're usually down in the two and three tenths range at most. I mean, very seldom do you see a change that does much more than that. But sometimes the truck would have a gain, two or three tenths, but so would the control truck. Yeah, and, exactly. and so you, you have to account weather or some other factor or low. You know, we never really knew what we weighed. I don't know if FedEx is still that way. They probably are. We had no idea what our trailers weighed. They didn't give us a weight on a trailer. We had two of them. They gave us a percentage of loaded. That was it. The trailer might be 100% <laughs> loaded or it might be 25% loaded. That was all we knew. And that sucks with doubles because... You get that heavy one in the back. Oh, that was a mess. And there were times I'd stop and flip them because they handled so bad. But we didn't know weight, so it's, it's possible that weight had changed during that time. But again, even that was fairly consistent between the two trucks because if we were busier, the trailers would be loaded 
you know, more so than when we, it, it might have been a slow week. So we controlled everything we possibly could, but that's, it's complicated to test this stuff accurately. Yeah, and that remind, a few things you said reminds me of the stuff I've been reading. So I've been trying to sort of model my test after some of the, like the EPA uh, regulations and how they would do testing, right? right? Because they're right. very thorough. Yep. So yep. There's, there's things in there. It's, it's so ridiculous that they would make someone do this. I just would oh. never want to work in a lab. <laughs> do you know <laughs> like, that? Like, do you know one of the things they do in that, in their testing that was just completely impractical to try to do in the real world, they weighed the fuel. They didn't go by gallons. They went by weight. Right. Because the the pumps could be inaccurate on gallons. They could be off a little bit. Temperature changes um, the fuel in the, in the, I mean, there was a lawsuit on this uh, against truck stops. Anybody remember that? That was like 20 years ago bunch of the truck stops were being sued because they there was a claim that their fuel pumps weren't calibrated in cold weather or something and you were getting cheated or hot weather I think it was you were getting cheated because the fuel expanded and the pumps couldn't compensate for it it, it one one that's worse than that was so to to replicate a truck on a dyno you have to give it a certain amount of load that simulates it driving right that includes aerodynamic drag, rolling resistance, you know, weight of the trailer, et cetera, et cetera, right? So in this calculation, they, I'll make a long story short, there's all these different factors and coefficients you have to plug in and et cetera, et cetera. They even wanted you to go to like, I can't remember the website, it was like the National Oceanic something to figure out what the gravity is in your area. So you could plug in the proper gravity. Gravity everywhere on Earth isn't the same. Oh, no. And I'm like, that's, no way. that's a small yeah, literally, wow. they wanted to do that. They said that in the EPA documentation. Well, this, and uh, it, you got to warm up the tires. You got to make sure that the tires are warm <laughs> before you even start the test. You have to let it idle for like fifty minutes or something like that before you start. Like all these rules and just like wow. Like I'll take some of that stuff out of there, but I'm not doing everything. Well, you know, this explains something I was just reading this morning, and I, I was going to save it for Friday because we, we always have so much material on this show and so many calls. I was going to save it for Friday. But the, uh, the ATA conference is going on in Florida right now, and there's a, a big... Uh, it's too hard to turn. Hey, hey, Bruce, is that you again? Hey, Bruce. Yeah, let me... Mute your phone. Yeah, mute. There you go. All right. All right. I'm uh, okay. No, that's better. Um, so one of the big things they're talking about down at uh, the conference is the Super Truck 2 program. So they did the Super Truck program right. a couple of years ago, uh, and each manufacturer got so much, yeah, so much money from the EPA, and then they had to kick in money. But here's what just makes me insane. Do you know how much money is going to be spent on the Super Truck 2 program? It's already being spent. There's a lot. 80 a lot. million oh, yeah. dollars. 80 million dollars is how much they're spending. I thought it would have been more. No, it's, it's, it, well, maybe that was Super Truck 1. I don't remember. When numbers get that big, they just don't even make sense to me anymore. Yeah, I thought that's what like one manufacturer got. Oh, maybe <laughs> it is. Who knows? It, it's such a crazy know, number. I... The, um, I read a bunch of presentations and stuff like that, and I've been following it over the years. And it's really interesting. And it is. Yeah. I feel like what's kind of fun about it is 
one manufacturer will be like all about weight heat recovery. And then there's another manufacturer that's like, yeah, but maybe not that way. I don't really like that. That's not going to work. Yeah. I felt like that was kind of interesting. It is. They find their own proprietary ways. Look, everybody has to solve the same problems. They're, it's all physics. Right. It's, it's aerodynamics. It's drag. It's parasitic drag. It's rolling resistance. We, have to, we all have to solve the same problem to get better fuel economy. But there's lots of ways to approach that. One, the one truck I was reading about today was pretty interesting. It's uh, Peterbilt. Um, some pretty strange stuff. You sit in the middle of the truck. Uh, Tesla maybe already had figured that out. In the Tesla truck, you sit in the middle because it allows them to curve the cab and the windshields a lot more drastically uh, for aerodynamics instead of having a, you know, trying to have a passenger way over on the left side of the vehicle. So that was an aerodynamic thing. Um, they, they did something that has been tried before and didn't really work. Um, Cat tried this years ago on a test truck. They, they pulled a lot of the um, components off and electrified them instead. They're not running them off the engine. Um, that's been right. tried before. Maybe they come up with some new way to make that work. Cause last time it didn't really make enough of a difference for all the, you know, all the changes they had to make. Um, they have some custom tires on this. They're wide singles, very, very low rolling resistance. Two things about them that were really unusual, but it, it makes sense. The, they have two big, really wide shoulders on each edge. I'm talking probably from the picture, it looks like it could be as much as five inches. And those shoulders are perfectly smooth, like a slick. And the tread is just the very center of the tire. And the, the tread itself isn't very wide. So that was a, but the other thing I found interesting they, they said they were very lightweight 24-5 tires. Hmm. Yeah. Really? I know. I, I don't. Hmm. I wonder what that's all about. I mean, that w it had to be specific. There's a reason they did that. You know, the industry yeah. started yeah. moving away from 24-5 20 years ago, and we're almost complete. I mean, they don't even want to make those tires anymore. But all of a sudden, on their super truck, they went back to that size. I have to wonder why. Well, I feel like a lot of their, their tests, you know, I mean, they have to show something at the end of it. And a lot of that, their, their testing and the results was like, we did all of this, we spent all this money and it's, you know, 2.4% better in this region. And it's one point, you know, 9% better here. So I feel like maybe they went to that tire for like a certain test, you know, because it was most optimized and that certain configuration doing this certain thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, could be. Could be, I, I, you know, I, w I would hope there is some logic behind most of that stuff. You know, on, on this, because it's a Peterbilt, they're using an X-15, uh, an Eaton transmission. They don't really tell us much about the transmission. They don't give us gear ratios. They do have a 48-volt 48 48 volt mild hybrid system that powers auxiliaries. It's got electric power steering. Uh, the HVAC is electric, the fans electric, uh, and it also put, they don't tell you how, but that they said it was a mild hybrid. They're putting some of that power back into the driveline. Yeah. 
And then no, it's it's really cool. It's funny you mentioned here's uh it says the waste heat recovery system is much improved from the first generation. Yeah, they've been trying that for a long time. But they also say um, it's nowhere near being able to be commercialized in a cost-effective way. The the waste heat recovery. Um, I feel like one of the weird factors or whatever about the waste heat recovery is, you know, certain systems give you, you can recover more from certain systems. Like the cooling system, you can get a lot of energy from. The charge air cooler, you can't get a whole lot from. But one you can get a lot of energy from is the EGR cooler. But it seems like as time goes on, they're going to get away from EGR like Navistar did. So I felt like they've spent all this time developing this waste recovery system that's most optimized for an EGR cooler. Like you could just build it into the EGR cooler, but now they're probably going to get rid of that. So it just feels like a little bit of a wasted part of thing. You know, (laughs) this goes way back. I can't even remember how long ago this was, but um, I had a caller who swore that he had built a generator off of waste heat and he was powering things in his truck from it. And I said, no way. I said that you didn't. And he's like, oh, I swear I did. And I said, well, explain to me how it works. And he, he was really secretive about it. He's like, well, I don't want to say it on the air, but I'll meet you anywhere in the country and I'll show. And I said, all right, tell me when. And I don't care where it is. I'll be there tomorrow, whenever. Just tell me when and I'll come and see this thing. And he'd say, well, let me let me figure out my schedule and I'll call you back. And he would wait like a month and he'd call me back again and he'd start bragging about this system. And I'm like, you didn't do this. You're, you're either delusional or you're lying. I'll prove it. And then Pardon me. this went on like four or five times over about a year. And then finally the guy just disappeared. I never heard from him again. Hey, what, what, what was the powering with it? You know what I mean? Quite a bit. I mean, I don't remember the specifics, but as soon as he said it, I said, there's no way. I've been studying this. You didn't do it. And if you did, um, I'm going to submit you for the Nobel Prize now. Yeah. And it was was kind of funny. It went on for like a year, though. Yeah, maybe you could power like an LED strip or something. (laughs) I mean, you can turn like a light bulb on like or something, right? I think I've seen that as an experiment. Can't can't you turn a light bulb on with a potato? Right. Yeah, I was going to say a couple of potatoes, yeah. Right. yeah. Maybe that's more efficient than the way to recovery. <laughs> it might be. Uh, what were some of the, with Yeah, what were some of the other weird... Oh, they, they managed to get... Uh, they took about 5,000 pounds, they said, out of the tractor and trailer using carbon fiber and aluminum. Um, so they got... And it, then added 10,000 in that. Yeah. <laughs> The cost, I can't even imagine. That's why they have to spend $80 million. Carbon fiber is so ridiculously expensive. Um, Yeah, like, I've read some of that, and, like, the, the, yeah, they're, like, saying, like, the frame of the trailer is made of unobtainium, you know. (laughs) Well, the original Nikola truck, and that guy's uh, going to jail, by the way, for fraud. We called that early on, and everybody said we were... Good for him. Yeah, he's going to jail for fraud. Um, he, that original truck and his, his weight claim that it was so light. And I said, how can it be light? It's hydrogen, uh, uh, you know, electric. It, it's got all kinds of crazy components. It wasn't light. It was heavier than almost any other truck on the road. And that was with a carbon fiber body. And that truck was, his original price was like 400,000 on that thing. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was insane. A couple other things interesting on this. Cameras in place of mirrors. I've been wondering why we didn't do that 15 years ago. Um, and that is really is a DOT thing. That's what stops that from happening. Uh, but this one also has a... Uh, Obviously, it's got all kinds of ground effect aerodynamics, and the suspension lowers at highway speeds. And it's got cab extenders that move with the trailer so they can be really tight. So that's some pretty high-tech yeah. stuff that could make it to the real world. I mean, that's not out of the question that yeah. we could see. There, there, there have been production cars forever that you know change and lower at, at speeds and things like that. And the grill Stuff like you can hide away the grill and stuff. The shutters yeah. on the grill, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. So that we could see that, I would think, within the next 10 years. Yeah, there's there's some good stuff that I feel like probably has come out of there. Maybe we haven't seen it yet. Maybe it's in, you know, a 24-mile or 25. Stuff they developed, you know, seven years ago. But, yeah, I mean, it's a really cool program. I'm excited for it. It's just, I don't know, sometimes they put so much money into stuff, it just seems like it's a bad idea before it even starts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, you know the simplest solution to all this. What's that, Bruce? You just get rid of all the politicians. You put Trump in the office. You let him run the country for as long as he wants. He brings back oil. We get it for two dollars a gallon, or two dollars a gallon for diesel, and then we don't have all these problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on politics, Bruce. Um, we we would uh, we'll never get to any of the calls and they're starting to pile up. I thought there was one more. Oh, now one of the things I wanted to say: if you go back and look at the last super truck program and all the money they spent, um, the results really weren't that spectacular for all of the crazy technology they put into those trucks and how much money they spent. One of the manufacturers, I forget who who it was, the most they reached was ten point seven. Uh, I think Navistar right. yeah, actually reached thirteen. Too. Yeah. That was pretty Which impressive. Is impressive. That is, yeah. 13, I was pretty impressed. But you spend all that money and the best you can do is 10.7. Hell, we're doing that now. Yeah, I mean, Joel puts like the <laughs> office staff in there. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So hopefully, I, I can remember, uh, I don't remember what year it was. It may have been the early 2000s it was one of those times fuel had spiked way up over four dollars a gallon for some reason um and walmart came out with a program and like i said it would have been early 2000s or mid 2000s and their claim was they were going to develop their own truck and they did they they brought a super truck out um, they were claiming 15 miles to the gallon by 2015 obviously that program <laughs> failed and went away. Never heard anything from Walmart about it since. That's because the Chinese quit working with them. <laughs> Bruce, you're heading into politics again. And they were using all Chinese parts. Yeah, there you go. I'm sure they were. All right. Uh, Pete, what's on your mind today? We haven't heard Hello, from Kevin. No. Right. So last week, Bill and I went to the Nastic show in um, Nashville, and that's the uh, stands for National National Association of Small Trucking Companies. Yeah, and it was founded in 1989. It was a really good show, well put on, and it was 
a little different than the truck shows that we normally do where you're at the booth the whole time. They had seminars, they had awards dinners for uh, driver of the year. They did a great job putting everything on. It was just, it was refreshing to see a a good show like that. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me address that because, um, I was a long, long time ago, starting way back when I was very, very critical of OIDA all the, and I still am. Um, I work in a lot of different industries, even though everything I do is about trucking. Uh, I worked in the tax industry because I did taxes and accounting. So I would go to conferences for taxes. I worked in the financial planning industry. So I'd go to conferences for financial planning and then the health industry. I would, I belong to, I don't anymore, but I used to belong to associations in all of those industries. And the number one thing they all did was education. You would go to these conferences and you would learn how to do what you do better. That was, to me, that was the whole point of belonging to them. And I started looking at OIDA because I owned trucks. I was an owner operator and that's supposed to be the owner-operator association, zero education, nothing. They didn't have an annual conference. There was no education anywhere. After a while, they, they really copied what I was doing and put some stuff online. They attempted uh, something like the CMC after I started mine, and it failed miserably. Um, but that's been my criticism of them forever. Uh, where's the education? What, that, that's what associations do. And then I found NASTIC, and that's what they do. Uh, it's a shame NASTIC isn't as big as OIDA, because I, I, they're, I think they're an amazing organization. They have great education, and they really work for the owner-operator and the small trucking company. The other problem I think OIDA has is they claim they're the owner-operator independent driver association, but most of their base, I think, is actually employees, employee drivers. Nothing wrong with that, but that's two different groups. You, you can't really represent those two. They're so different. They may do the same thing every day, but their issues are way different. So um, I've always praised Nastic for that. I think they, uh, they kind of filled the gap there for the, the owner-operators and the small trucking companies. Most of their members have between five and 30 trucks. So, you know, small fleets and the the benefits, like they had a lot of classes going on from drug testing rules in California, a lot of basis for these guys, uh, you know, whether you're new into trucking or just trying to get things in order and the the changes they make are are constant. And they also have uh, discounts. So one of the, uh, opening speeches they were talking about. If you're a big fleet, uh, they get discounts. You don't, you, you're going to buy 500 trucks. They're going to give you what you want at the price you want. And of course, if you have five trucks, no, it could, could care less. You know, they're not going to give you anything. Yeah, right. Or right. through them, you get a discount on fuel, tires, PMs, uh, and, and they're tied closely with the TA Petro people. Uh, yeah. A lot of the discounts are through them. Yeah. So it really gives them a, a, an edge over someone else that isn't part of it. You know, when you, I, I've been talking about this for years, um, owner operators who have tried different fuel discount programs, because there are others out there. OIDA, I believe, has a fuel discount program, I think. I don't even know anymore. OIDA does do discounts on trucks and other things, so they, they did do that part of it. But everybody who's ever compared fuel cards, 
tells me hands down Nastic has the best discount anywhere. Better than most big fleets. Good. Yeah. It's it, it, it people just love their fuel card, have for years. So uh, I'm going to be in Nashville for a trucking conference next week. That's a great place to have something as well. Yeah, actually, I'm going to Memphis first. I have uh, two days in Memphis, and then I have a couple days in between, and then I have two days in Nashville. And they had it at the Omni, which is a great hotel to have it at. You're in walking distance of downtown. Um, And they really took care of us as far as uh, feeding us, um, cocktail hour, top shelf drinks. I mean, it was just a a, a great great week for us to be there. We actually tried one year um, to get that combined with the CMC. We were we were talking to them and seeing if we could possibly put that all together and combine it with the CMC, which I thought would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. Yeah. For so. sure. Who knows? Maybe we'll explore okay. something like that again. We're, we're talking about bringing back some kind of a program. That'd be great. Yeah. What else you got? Anything today? That is it for me. All right. Let's uh, let's get to the calls because they're uh, piling up on us here. Let's go to South Carolina. John, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I sent you an old sample um, earlier this morning. Uh, it's under Weber Logistics. Um, I got flagged. Uh, I led. And how it was flagged, it was kind of weird for me. I thought it would be the vice. Like, I don't know. I, I, I thought how that it was flagged. Something that came up first and then led, maybe. I don't know. Maybe this is my hey, thinking. But then I just didn't know if possibly this could be a barrier for it. Hey, John, two things. Are you on some kind of a headset? I am. Can you not hear me? Uh, I can hear you, but it, it like, cuts out at weird times or it's clipping off words or something I can hear, but it's kind of hard to understand. We're talking about something technical okay. like an oil sample. I want to make sure I can hear you. Can you try anything else to see if it's any better? How does this work? Yeah, it, that's a little bit of background noise, but I can hear your words better. So that, that's going to be good. Now, the other question, have I ever reviewed an oil sample on this engine before? This is the first time you've, you've ever reviewed uh, a sample format. Okay, so we got a long history here, and um, Bruce, you've looked at enough oil samples to know. It, it looks like we uh, we let his kids loose with the 64 box of Crayola on this thing. There's colors everywhere. Wow. Yeah, um, I'm going to go all the way back to the f- first sample. So I'm looking at a total of one, two, three, four, five samples. We're going back to basically March, we'll call it, um, the beginning of March of this year. And then our final sample was the 14th of October of this year. Um, We go back to that first sample. Um, when you saw those numbers, did you do anything? Hey, and I'll go through the numbers, Bruce. Uh, are you using the catalyst? By the way, I need to what, ask that too. What, what? Yes, I am using the catalyst. Okay, so we can ignore the iron, although 
there may be some issues with iron as well. Uh, the iron was 61 on, we only had 16,000 miles on the oil. That's a really high iron number, even with the catalyst. Uh, we had 790,000 miles on an ISX, Bruce. Um, here was, oh no, I guess I wouldn't. Oh, wait a minute. Wow, this is a weird one. So Bruce, on this first sample, 16,000 miles on the oil. Pete, you'll be able to jump in here with this one too. 61 on the iron, set that aside for right now. Copper was 190, but lead was only four. And we don't have prior history at that point to know if the lead was already gone off the bearing or not. So that would have been concerning for me, and I wouldn't have been able to know the answer. But here's the, the problem back then. Um, John, any time prior to that oil sample, had the engine been opened up? Not so I know of. The only other time, I mean, just doing the overhead. I got this truck back in 2020. No, no, doing the overhead counts as, as opening the engine up. We, we get high dirt and high okay, silicon. That's, so. And that's, yeah, so I had, but it, so with, with my history, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a rundown real quick. Uh, basically, I know I had the overhead done, um, and I had uh, uh, the oil cooler replaced already in it actually twice because the guys messed up on the first one and um they had what, to what um, was what was wrong with the original oil cooler was it leaking it it, it, it was leaking okay. from the um leaking from the back high side so when they went to put the put it back on it was still leaking and then they had to regrind it and then they come to find out they just replaced it i don't know why they didn't replace the Okay. A little cooler beginning, but the tribe is pretty reseal it. So, um, see, then uh, I did. I did have the EGR, you know, of course, re, uh, replaced. Um, I had uh, I had a Pittsburgh Power. I think about a couple of years ago, we actually installed uh, one uh, all new injectors because I had bad injectors in it, or one or two of them were bad. So we just went ahead and changed out all six injectors. Um, and then recently, I just had to change out my, uh, I changed up the valve, uh, rocker shaft, um, rocker shaft on them because I guess where the Jake brake sits in that detent, it wasn't staying and my Jake brakes were literally rattling all over the place. So I went ahead and changed those out. That was actually changed just prior of me doing the old stuff. Got it. Okay, so we're, we're, we're going to go through the history on this because there might be some lessons in here. But, man, these oil samples are all over the board. Um, you're in South Carolina right now. How far are you from Columbia? Um, I'm not far. I'm actually uh, about 45, 50 minutes away from Columbia. Oh, good. I'm going to go through this, but I have a solution for you. All right. I went to basic training there. Columbia has a really bad part of town. Drive this thing in there, open the door, run away, and leave the door open with the engine running. Don't look back. <laughs> uh, so let's go over this oil sample because this one is interesting. So how much oil is this thing using? Well, is that what kind of oil I'm using? No, how much? All right, how often do you have to add a gallon? I'm sure you're using oil. I mean, uh, I'm uh, through my the oil change and services about two or three gallons. In how many miles? 
uh, about 30,000 miles. Not horrible. That's not, uh, bad. not as bad as I thought it would have been. I have a feeling it's a it's going to get worse pretty steadily here, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to solve this. Uh, Bruce, the silica number on that first sample, and I know the engine had been opened at some point, um, 39. That's really high. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't even see that after wow. you know in frames or overheads or anything. What? What kind of air filter, and where is the air filter? The external or under the hood? External, W9, and I got two fleet, fleet uh, filters on. You might not okay. be oiling them right, wow. or you might need to inspect them to make sure your wraps aren't torn, that everything's fitting right. Bruce, out of five oil samples, only one of them was under 10, and it was a 9. We had 39, 11, 17, 9, and the last one was 14. So we're still... I would be pulling all the piping off, pulling the piping off and inspecting it for a hole and making sure that whether it's aluminum or plastic, there's no... After you wash it, spray it with and grease. Yeah, we're getting... That'll help collect some of that dust. We're getting dirt in here, and it looks like this is another engine that's just starting to eat itself. Um, there was one sample here where there was less than 15,000 miles on the oil, and the iron was 103. Um, on that one, the copper was 46, and the lead was 9. Uh, I'm going to skip the next one, and I'm going to jump to the last one. These were the signi- There were three significant samples in here. The other two... There wasn't enough to talk about. The last sample, um, 13,000 miles on the oil. The iron's at 140. That's way out of line. And wow. and we're seeing chromium at just at a level three, but we don't see a lot of chromium in oil samples. That's all upper cylinder. So I have a feeling the upper cylinders I, are really starting to wear. I think, I think dirt's getting into the intake. And that's causing all these problems. Now, here's the one that uh, you're going to have to address right away on this last sample. So here's your history of lead for the first four samples. Four, two, nine, which starts to be a little concerning at nine. Drop down to six. This last sample with 13,000 miles, lead hit 136. And copper went to 44. Yeah. And and even tin, tin went up to six. We never see tin. This this engine's got a lot of dirt in it. And it's just eating itself. Yep. I would get the bearings yeah. looked at soon. Wow. Actually, I wouldn't get them looked at. You're probably going to have to decide if you want to replace them or not, or if you want to start looking for another truck. Well, that's why, you know, I wanted to send us in and kind of find out from you guys and see what how, would be the best avenue for me to do this. I mean, because how, how I didn't attached, know if I could even... Oh, I could. How attached are you to this truck? I mean, I am. I, it's my first truck. I mean, it's the truck I always wanted, but at the same okay. time, I'm, I'm not that attached. Um, what year what, truck is it? W9. W9. Oh, four. Okay. So I, don't know. I, I would be, he, 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 I would be starting with the air filters. 
I, let me let, let, I, we could address the the problems with the engine and we could fix them I know we can we could figure this out it's the air intake system you're gonna have to throw some bearings in it doesn't sound like we've done enough damage to the upper cylinders yet that that couldn't be saved your oil consumption isn't that bad but I have to guess this thing's getting horrible fuel economy uh, as of I, I just actually got some fuel earlier and I did on the fuel gauges and it's it's right at my overall is right like at like five nine. That uh, just sucks. in the daily event that I got that, that the fill up it was like six sucks. something. Sucks. The fuel is five dollars and thirty four cents a gallon today. If we get you a truck that's getting seven right. and a half which we can do with half our brain tied behind our back, you'd be saving $25,000 a year in fuel. I have to believe that if I could put a check for you, uh, or I could put $25,000 cash in your hand right now at the end of the year, you'd be pretty happy, and there'd be a lot of things you could do with it. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't put a penny in this truck. Bruce, even yeah. even if get rid of the truck, get even if one. even if you love the W nine, which I I can't understand in today's world, I I understand why you love it. I don't understand why we would own one to make money with one. But Bruce, even with that, what kind of fuel mileage have you got with guys when you work with them on a truck like this? In the eights. Eights. Yeah, we'd be talking about mm-hmm. thirty thousand dollars in fuel cost every year. Four years, we're talking about $120,000. Your fuel, well, used to buy you a new truck in four years, not anymore, but that's a lot of money. So I would either commit to, if you just love this truck, I I would get it to Pittsburgh Power now and sit down with them and make the decision. Do we think we could fix the problems on this truck and get it to seven and a half miles to the gallon? And what's that going to cost us? And they could do all that for you right there. Or should we just start over? Yeah. What I wouldn't try to do, I wouldn't spend a bunch of money to fix this problem, the bearings, the intake, all that, and then just go back to driving the truck again. And not at 5.9 miles a gallon and an engine that's had an awful lot of damage done to it. And and that's where I'm at right now. I gotta want to keep keep putting band-aids on it. I mean, like I'm at the point. I know this truck got 850 some thousand miles on it. I know which, the over, which, overall. Wait. I mean, it could be very now, close to my future. Now, I have to believe on an 04 that 850 is not original, right? Or is it? Apparently, it is. I I, I even did rig digs and everything else on it, and that okay. is the original mileage on it. Yeah, if you did a rig dig, I I would trust that. It's pretty easy to figure out from a rig dig. Then this is an original engine. I I thought maybe this was just a bad in frame at some point, uh, but it sounds like it's the original engine. I I think you either need to commit to put a whole bunch of money in this thing to get reasonably good fuel economy, and fix the problems you have, or I would just start over. Given, given the price of trucks today, 
Um, if we were in a normal cycle where you can pick up these older trucks at really good prices and then put some money into them and upgrade them for fuel mileage, um, I'd just say absolutely scrap this thing, go start over. The prices of trucks are just not coming down the way I think they should have by now. So it, it would be worth it to Pete. You could do everything I described, right? If he pulls in, you could help him with this whole equation. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the way. Yeah, and that's the, what is this decision harder is there isn't much out there for trucks for him to right. buy. Right. At a reasonable price. So do you, Overpay for a truck. And then still have to put, put a bunch of money, money into, into it. it. I mean, the odds of finding so he, yeah. a W9 that's been really modified for fuel economy is pretty slim. And if you find it, they're going to want so much money for it, it's going to be ridiculous. So maybe there is a way to look at this one and say, look, we could fix the problems and get this thing up over seven miles to the gallon and you don't have to go through changing out trucks. Because if he would look so like, you know, I'm a fan of the DD 15, but you know, he finds something with six, 700 miles on it. If the one box hasn't changed, he's going to need to do that. And that's parts and labor, 12 grand. If you can get a one box, right. Uh, if it's time for a rebuild, if it's eight or nine hundred thousand miles, no one's rebuilding those. It's a engine swap. Now you're at forty grand. Yeah. So you got a That's... truck and you spent forty grand. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it as, and I see your point about the fuel mileage, but it would be, I think, easier for him to put some money in this, and then we can uh, do some things to work on the fuel mileage as well. And. And here's the other assumption I'm making, John, or because you said this was um, your dream truck, kind of, the W9. I, I get that. So the assumption I'm making is if you go out and buy another truck, it's going to be a, another W9. If you were just wide open uh, to any not truck, at that, yeah. then now, because you're not going to find a W9 on the market that gets good fuel economy. The odds are slim. So like no. Pete said, you're going to have to go buy a, an overpriced truck then we're still going to have to spend a bunch of money on it to get fuel economy out of it. But if you're willing to go shop the market for an efficient truck, then that's another consideration. Because right. we can find really efficient trucks on the used market that will get eight miles to the gallon already. We won't have to modify anything. So then you're just looking at the price of the truck itself. Right. But Bruce, unless you've got some people out there that you've worked with with W9s and they have a truck for sale, trying to find one that gets good fuel economy is just about impossible. Everybody that has a W9, uh, they cherish it and they keep it and they're going to keep it a long time. Yeah, that's usually the case. Yeah. So, Kevin, as far as what you have to spend on this, so bearings and it's not ungodly expensive right we don't have fuel consumption now one concern i would have is are we getting some results from a bad camshaft right but again that's easy enough to find pull the valve cover off because if you have a bad camshaft or in this case two because it's a twin cam that might change what direction he goes but if cams are good um we find the problem with the dirt ingestion we roll a set of bearings in it he doesn't have um, consumption, oil consumption to speak of. No. You know, two gallons in 13,000 miles isn't horrible. 
Um, maybe throw a bypass filter on her, keep that oil a little cleaner. Might help. With the I've got a, I've got a bypass. I do have a bypass filter on there. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Um, and then we would have some money to look into trying to pick up some fuel mileage. Yeah, some tunes and some some other options. So that's really yeah, why. Yeah, that, that's really why I don't want to make this call on the phone right now. I would want you guys to go through this truck and figure all that out. And that's and, and I, I, I deal with you guys at Pittsburgh Power. In fact, Bruce, if you remember me, I was the one I brought my daughter in when I was getting my overhead, and she was playing with Bentley when I was getting my truck done. And apparently, I guess that was when Bentley had to go to the vet or something, and it wore Bentley out pretty well. She did, anyways. <laughs> and uh, uh, we were in your office. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, um, back to where we were talking, and then I, I say I have to say, Lucy had a great time. Uh, you guys, you guys are freaking awesome. Love treating my daughter uh, like a princess. So, good. thank you. Good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I deal with you guys all the time. So yeah, I, and I and not, I'm not trying to uh, overstep Eric. I mean, I deal with Eric all the time. He's actually he says something that it could be almost a bearing, and I just wanted to get more people involved to figure out, is that really what's going on here? Because, again, I'm, I'm, I don't want to keep well, putting Band-Aids on it. If I have to get rid of it, get something else, I will. But I, I want to get this thing solved and, you know, well, I can keep it great. If not, you know what? Eric was absolutely correct. When he looked at this oil sample and what's going okay. on, the most concerning issue on this oil sample absolutely is the bearing. So he was spot on. We're, okay. I, I, I dig deeper and look at the whole operation i mean i i want to know how much profit you're making and how can we make you more so i you know i read i really read into oil samples and i can look at this thing it's got this dirt issue it's got the bearing issue it's getting horrible fuel economy um so but it, it you like the truck and we can work with it so it, it, and it, it might make financial sense to just stick with this thing and let's get it up to seven and a half miles to the gallon, which isn't out of the question at all. It's not even that hard. And, and just like you're saying, I've got what, to commit uh, to it. We, we've got to get a good game, game plan and go for it. What transmission and gears are in this thing? 355. I actually I just replaced the transmission at the beginning of the year. It's got 13 speed. Okay. Um, how it fast? did. It did originally have uh, a nine converted over, but I went straight thirteen. Okay. What um, what kind of freight do you pull? Um, a little bit of everything. Um, it's dry van, so uh, that's all I need uh, to know. Can be that, anywhere that, from. That, that's all I need to know. Okay. Dry, right. dry okay. van's fine. Tells me enough. Um, how? What part of the country right. do you spend most of your time in? Uh, well, be in South Carolina, a lot of the Southeast, but uh, really, I've been driving up north quite a bit. Um, to, uh, New England, uh, up north. I'm actually in uh, Michigan as we speak. Okay. Um, so, and, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit all over the place. But. And how fast do you like to drive? I like to go 65. Sometimes I'll kick it up to 67, 68, but this mainly I like to hum around 66, 65. You know, this would even be a truck we'd think about regearing right to the 264s. There might be enough of a gain here um, to make it worth looking at that. I agree. Yeah, I heard so the caller earlier, I think he had 264s. I was wondering about that. Yeah, that, that, this would be a truck that would respond really well to that. You're driving in the right speed range to make that make sense. 
Um, th- this we could get this truck to seven and a half to eight miles to the gallon with some work. So you, you may hey, pull in, let these guys really go over it with that in mind, Pete. You know, should we keep this truck, put some money into it? I'm leaning more and more towards that might be the way to go. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, the, the one option would be let's make sure the cams are good. Right. Um, because that changes the expense of the failure at that point to do you want to put that kind of money in? If the cams are good, we roll in bearings, find the dirt ingestion issue. So also, are you getting, are you adding any antifreeze? No, you, you ever not. have to add antifreeze? Okay. We have yeah, some no, I, 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 I have small traces of that in there. So, okay, that's a good sign. You're not adding anything because that would add to the equation of, okay, do we have another problem? Because well, we're, we're getting some of that. Well, I remember we're, um, we're not the, the seeing, one time, Pete, when I was in there. We're not seeing any coolant sorry. in the oil, Pete. There's none at all. Well, wasn't there a little sodium and potassium? Uh, I don't think. You think that's just all dirt? Again, wasn't terrible, but... Uh, well, yes. I will say, Pete, one time, I don't know yeah. when I was in there, if you remember um, my first time, the reason why we did injectors, we thought possibly the uh, injector cups could be leaking, and there's, mm-hmm. there could be some issues with that as well when I first brought it into you guys. And we checked that, so that was all good. Yes. Okay, good. All right, I think we have a plan. Yeah, we do, and I, I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for taking my call, and thanks for uh, helping me out and uh, uh, help me think straight a little bit. Kevin, appreciate looking at the, the big picture, the big, uh, big number there. That helps me out, get me back on track a little bit. You're welcome. You're welcome. We'll, we'll get this solved, get you profitable. Let's go to Wisconsin. Brad, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. I'd like to start off by saying that I got a 13-speed direct transmission and 264 gears. I bought all the parts for $6,000 this spring. Nice. <clears throat> that's, uh, that's, re- that's reasonable in today's world. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and they were all rebuilt. Oh, good. good. But <clears throat> I'm I'm enjoying them. That's for sure. Good. But good. anyway, my start module in here that I've had for four years has been acting up, and I've heard you talk about the Scale Start one. And I was making some phone calls two weeks ago. And I actually found a dealer in the United States that's working on getting me one. And I was wondering, or I was going to pass the gentleman's name on to you. Yeah, I'd like so to. So I don't know if you could work. Uh, his name is Mike, Mike Phillips. He's out of Washington State. Oh, good. It's right here. I don't know his uh, the company he works for exactly. Do you happen to have a phone number? Oh, yeah, I would. Oh, good. Uh, let's see here. All right. It's 360-334-1959. Okay. okay. I may reach out to them here. We, we, we'd love to be able to, uh, you know, carry one of these again. They're so hard to find, and we love the one we had. Uh, 
Have to blame it on Elon Musk, though. He bought the company and got rid of the product. I mean, I was happy with mine for four years, and he's saying these scale starts are so much nicer. It, it is a better product. I, I will say it's a better construction. It's a better product. It's actually a more powerful product. Not that we really needed it, um, but it, it's a, it looks to me like it's going to be a more durable product. And I'm, I mean, I haven't got mine yet. I'm pretty he, sure he's I... He's figuring like the middle end of November. That's a German company, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, German engineering is pretty hard to beat, so that's a plus, too. Yeah, reach out to him, and I'd like to maybe get him on, if you, if you can get him on the phone, on yeah. like the power hour or something. Yeah, we may, we may do Talk that. To him. Perfect. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm excited for mine. Yeah, I'll bet. Okay, good. I'll, uh, I'll do that. We'd love to get uh, another one that uh, we can get and get serviced. Because once the, um, the old ones start going bad, there's nobody to service them. There's no warranty left. There's no nothing anymore. Let's, uh, let's go to Ohio. Peter, welcome to the program. Peter, come back to your phone. Hello. Hey, sorry about that. That's all right. <laughs> You're here now. What's on your mind? Hey, this is Peter from last week. Blew the stacks off my Coronado. Oh, yeah. What did you find out? Yep. Uh, how amazing Pittsburgh power is. <laughs> <laughs> As if I didn't already know that. Yeah. No, this is the second time that I've had one of my trucks in there with an intermittent problem, and they were able to find it and fix it. And uh, very impressed with Leroy sticking his hand in a hot engine to wiggle a wiring harness. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But um, I don't know if Leroy wants to explain what they did or if you want me to. Leroy? Leroy. Um, Yes, yeah, I'll explain as I remember. There's a lot of trucks pass through, so um, so if I remember right, this had multiple separate issues, and um, I don't know if it was a combination of them that blew the stacks off, and uh, not sure what it is. But anyway, one of the issues was the intake air temp sensor was not reading right. I think it was reading like negative 45 degrees or something like that. Ooh. So that was telling the ECM that the air temperature inside the intake manifold was negative 45. And as you can imagine, that would tell the ECM to do certain things with the timing or fueling that, you know, was incorrect if it was actually like 80 or 90 or something like that. Yeah. So that was one issue. The second issue was with the uh, sort of the burbling. And then when you have a 60 series and you uh, kind of coast for a while and you get back into it, they stutter and blow smoke and everything like that. That was simply we had to disable that filter torque uh, timing change. We got rid of that. It was at negative 10. Uh, we bumped that up to 5, so it wouldn't go negative 10 anymore. So that should have, should have solved that issue. And then the other issue he had was um, it didn't want to start every time. And it had a few codes for um, the cam sensor. So, you know, one of the 
first test that we always do is sort of like, you know, the a wiggle test or something like that, where we would grab, reach in there, grab the wire, you kind of move the wiring harness around and everything like that. And I got to, I reached in there behind the air compressor, wiggled it around a few times, got to throw the code, didn't start. So I had Warren, the uh, new guy here, he wired up the, uh, the new plug on it. And it sounds like the combination of all those things, it, uh, it seems like it's all working out for you then, huh? Yes, it's working great. And I'm glad you mentioned his name because I did want to shout out Warren. You know, probably their newest guy there. And even he is on the ball. He came up with the, what did you call it? The split, the split uh, fueling on the injector. He's the yeah, one he that actually, pointed that out. Uh, yeah, it was kind of funny. He's only been here for a couple of weeks. And he's listening to what like the conversations that JR and I JR and I have. And we've talked about split injections on sixty series before, how most of the time they just cause issues. Um, they really were kind of programmed in there for noise emissions and just, you know, general knock emissions. But they nine times out of ten just cause issues. And he suggested that he's like, Well, maybe some of the smoke is well, the split injections turned on. And JR and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, yeah, you're right. It absolutely was. If anybody out there has a 60 series that smokes like a freight train on a cold startup, I, that cured the problem. So uh, had you ever had this truck in any other shop for this, these issues? No, no. As soon as it became an issue, you know, I wanted Pittsburgh power because, you know, like I said, this is the second time that they've been able to fix an intermittent issue the first go round. Whereas I I know I would have wasted thousands of dollars at another shop and they never would have fixed everything. Yeah, I was going to say they would have taught, would have put the sensor on and, and called it good. It, cleared they, the codes and sent me down the road. Yeah, they may have caught one of the sensors and then just, you know, said, well, that was the whole problem, and, and or, or they may not have even done that. My experience, multiple uh, electrical issues like this, you're not going to get them in one shot at many shops around the country. And I had one more thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, I was wondering if Bruce had seen this article I seen on the Internet in Pennsylvania. Um, some young guy had a Dodge pickup truck, did the modification that must not be named, deleted it. And uh, I guess the government seen his Facebook marketplace posting trying to sell the truck. And they basically came in and told him he had to put the emissions back on it or crush the truck. Wow. that's They're getting a, serious. Yeah, that's one of the first cases I've ever heard of the government going after an individual. I mean, they, they, they use, yeah, they so that's what the they were saying. Right. That that's pretty unusual. That's a little scary. Cause if they're doing oh, yeah. that, if they're doing that with pickup trucks. Last week, last yeah. week on I 70. Oh, or you tell by the headlights and the soot was 18 inches on the back of his staff. So what's that telling you that he did? We missed the first part of that, Bruce. You broke up. 
Uh oh, I'm not hearing you again. I I know the story. Bruce was driving on I-70. He seen a Peterbilt that he could tell by the headlights. It was an emissions truck. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it had soot 18 inches down the back of the stack. Oh, yeah. That's so, a, that's a you know, what does that make you think? Yeah, that's a delete. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You see a guy going up through his gears, and he's putting out black smoke between the shifts, and you look and you see the headlights on a 389. You know what year it is. You know it's supposed to have a DPF. You know it wouldn't be doing that. So, you got people are going to get caught. Hey, how many trucks, how many illegal trucks do we think are in California every day? Oh. And it seems to be a lot because they don't see, well, <laughs> illegal in the sense that it's older than what it should be, or is it deleted? Either one. I know guys yeah, that I, have older trucks will yeah. run in because they don't know and check. Well, exactly. And here's the other problem they have with just random checks trying to, you know, spot a truck going down the road. It's easy for us to spot those trucks. We know what year they are. Um, Part of the problem is, though, and this always made me insane, California exempted all of their agricultural trucks from this rule. So there are lots of trucks running around in California that are exempted because they're agriculture. Well, how does that make any sense? It was their air quality they're worried about in California. Why would you exempt the trucks that spend 100% of their time in your state? The world may never know. I know, but they did. Uh, that's political. I'm, I'm going to move on. Peter, thanks for the call. We've got a bunch to get to. Let's go to Illinois. Steve, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. Uh, Kevin, uh, I've got an oil sample there. It's actually for TRC Express. Tad Kelsey, he hasn't figured out the technology to get to you guys yet. Uh, but so, I, hey, in the meantime, it just came fire. New York State Supreme Court reinstated all employees that were fired for being unvaccinated and ordered back pay for each person for every minute that they missed the work. Thank so, God. So, <laughs> congratulations. And the taxpayers of New York State should revolt because guess who paid all that those back wages and all this crap? The taxpayers, not the government. The government made all the mistakes. The taxpayers are going to have to pay for it all now. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they all just in two weeks go ahead and um, vote Zeldin in and exactly. start voting these folks out. And the- it can happen everywhere. That North Shore uh, Hospital group in, in, in Chicago had to pay out hundreds of millions of dollars to all the nurses and doctors they fired. Well, you know, and pay, if it, and order them back pay and if it's private businesses, it's fan, fantastic. If it's government, then the people better realize that not only did the government screw them the first time, the government screwed them again the second time when all those people got paid. Government doesn't have any money; it's all ours. Well, private. Yeah, private businesses better think about it also because North Shore, they had uh, shareholders that are having to pay that money. So it's going to happen everywhere. And, you know, like it's like like an onion that's being peeled back one little layer at a time. Exactly. What is it it with everybody today trying to get me to turn this into an episode of The Pit? I know, (laughs) I know. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's get to to the chat. Uh, oil sample here. 
Uh, okay, the history on it is they uh, they got the wrong number there on the unit time. He's got he had a, he had uh, thirty nine thousand on this rebuild. This truck set for fifty one weeks waiting on a one box. Um, so the oil sat in there for that long. Uh, he had a oil change at fifteen hundred miles and another change at at thir- at four thousand miles, and then he had thirty another thirty four thousand on this oil or thirty three thousand. 622 miles on this oil so. uh, that he got out of there. But it, so, so, so what, what, when you look at it, I, I do a lot of, I do, I, I do a lot of oil analysis for friends of mine too, kind of learning from you over the time. What was your, when you look at this, what are the things that jumped out at you? We've wow, already done some things. Here. <clears throat> so, so just so I'm clear, the, the engine has about 34,000 on an in frame. 38 now. 38. 38 yeah. Who, who did the in frame? Yeah, somewhere. Uh, uh, Freightliner and uh, uh, Bruce, had, hadn't you guys done a lot of work on this truck prior to that? Tad's truck, aren't you yeah, guys really yeah, familiar had, with had, this? Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, oh, hey, wait. For Tad. Wait, wait, wait a minute. This is a DD 15, isn't it? Yes, it is. Somebody rebuilt a DD-15. That's pretty unusual. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he rebuilt he it together with a part on him, too. It, 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 it started out as a overhead setting, and there was a cam issue, and it, it didn't go. he didn't go in. His plan was he had – so you could look at his old oil analysis, and they were spotless. That's what uh, I you thought. Would, if you saw – the mileage, you'd say, oh, there's you know 500,000 miles on this truck. I mean, uh, there's you know it was perfect. And then he had an overhead setting done. There were some issues. I think he dropped the valve, and, and it snowballed badly for him. Unfortunately, I, I'm not and then so sure after it he stopped. Got, uh, Even after the end frame, there's some well, weird stuff going on here. Um, I'll tell you what's really yeah, and I, uh, interesting about a little more history. A little more history on that, uh, Kevin. Uh, you hold, hold on. Bruce, Bruce, is that you again? Mute your phone. There we go. Go ahead, Steve. Okay, he was. He is. He's in a lime-type, uh, phosphate-type yard with a lot of dust every week. So magnesium and potassium, you know, that, uh, that you know, that he would get a lot of that in that type of a setting dusty white dust you know you've seen those kind of yards yeah, yeah. um so yeah you know, look at that i mean I, you know that looks to be environmental my my thought was the the oil cooler is probably his is his uh copper he has no lead right uh, and um, um, the only one who worried me aluminum well <laughs> I'm, I'm actually concerned about the chromium aluminum and tin those are all wear metals that we yeah, don't, yeah. don't normally see, not even during break-in. You know, we don't see those numbers go high during break-in. They're usually zeros during that time. So that's a little concerning. The copper I could ignore because lead has been zero on every sample. We haven't touched the bearings. Correct. So the, the copper doesn't worry me at all. I am a little concerned about those other wear metals. Um he is, here, the micro, he is getting the micro. He is getting 
here's a the micro pack test. From- here's another thing that concerns me. The first sample silicon was 16. No big deal. It's an in-frame. We expect that to happen. It usually takes a while to go down, except his next sample, it was only four. So it looks like we got it cleaned out pretty quick, but his latest sample went back up to 10 again. So where'd yeah, that dirt yeah. come from? Yeah. I'm trying to think. I don't, uh, that I don't know. Like I say, I don't know if he's getting so you much know, dust down there that some's get. You know, it was really interesting I when I was scrolling headlines and all the things I scrolled to do my show prep this morning, uh, a Facebook memory came up and it was about Tad and he had broken 10 miles to the gallon on that particular 30 day. I think it was a 30 day average. And I thought, what happened to Tad? I haven't yeah. heard from him in forever. And here he is today. He had figured out you. And I, I, I got a, next time I stop him, I'm going to put it on his phone. Next yeah. time I get by, we get by with him. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, it, um, it popped so up and I'm our, like, whatever happened to Ted, Tad, I haven't heard from him in forever. And now here he is. So, um, so Pete, it sounds like do you, you've kind of got a handle on this one somewhat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so so in, in the, prior to Tad, we, you know, he knew he was coming upon a rebuild. We did a one box at six fifty, seven hundred thousand. You know, typical stuff that needed to be done. He was looking at going with a new truck. His initial thought a few years back was, "I'm going to buy the truck I want, um, and it'll be the last truck I have to buy." And it was one of those things. And this was prior to things getting real expensive, but it, the price just kept going up. Yeah. To the point where, okay, I'm not going to go that route. Um, he first used no oil on his engine prior to this problem that snowballed. That's what I was uh, going to ask. Fuel module was phenomenal. He had, you know, the truck as far as not giving him problems, getting great fuel mods. The oil analysis was, was just, again, I would say, Chad, if I, or Chad, if I didn't know you, I think you're a liar. You should <laughs> right. have oil analysis. That kind of miles on it. It's insane. So, and then he had, uh, like I said, an overhead dropped the valve, I think, and it just was a bad situation the whole way down. And once he gets the engine rebuilt, the one box that they put on fouled, and they couldn't get him one. You know, twice. No way. Complete. Oh. Yeah. You, you know, here's the... 51 weeks. Here's the sad part of the story. Ted came to us getting no fuel economy, struggling with everything. We, and he was willing to do whatever it took to make things right. And he did. And it took us several years. We got the truck right. We got the fuel economy. Like I said, he posted above 10 that on the, the post I saw this morning. Everything was going great. And how could it go so far downhill? That's awful. Huh. So, Kevin, I got I got one question. One question. Uh, we're going to get the micro patch testing. It's going to tell us what those what the what those metals where they came from. Okay, good. Uh, the aluminum, the and the tin, um, and and um, so that should give us somewhere to look. Now, the the problem is with the truck parked for fifty one weeks. Waiting on if they ended up putting three three one boxes in before they got it right. Um, with that happening, that ran as 
his warranty ran out sitting sitting for a year. <laughs> so, so he has a warranty on this engine. It's so that, done. in my opinion, that's just yeah. wrong. That's just wrong. The only reason the truck's sitting is because of Freightliner. They should have extended his warranty. Yeah, they should have. They should have. They, I mean, they treated him really badly. Um, and between the two of them, between, you know, Binghamton, when the work they did, it looks like, uh, and and Stoops over in Indy with all the one-box issues that they had, that they just he just sat and sat and sat. Now, luckily, I had, I had a truck he rented for me for 51 weeks. You know, so he good. kept his, he actually flourished in his business. Good. But yeah, he, he ended up paying me for that, but it kept him in business. So, but he, he was, he's good there. Um, so I, I think the next thing we just wait on that and see, but everything else at the bottom, you know, the fuel dilution, the soot, uh, everything else looked really, really good down there. Um, we're, we're hoping beyond hope that this is a, a, um, a heavy break-in issue with, up there and he got the oil out. He's going to test it again at 15,000. Would you suggest that or go, go further than 15? No, I do 15. We have, we have enough weird stuff going on. I, I would keep changing the oil early until we solve these problems. You know, there's a, there's a good lesson here. I, I had a call recently where um, somebody knew they should have been oil, oil sampling. They just kind of never got around to it. By the time they did get around to it, the first sample we saw – the engine was just eating itself everywhere, top, bottom, everything. Yeah. Um, I so wish we could have caught that one early. We could have solved a bunch of those problems. That's what, that's what I'm so glad that he did the samples right away here. I mean, we're seeing the problems right away. We can address them now. There, there doesn't seem to be um, any issues with the bearings whatsoever because zero lead. So I'm not worried about that copper the upper, I, I have to believe, and, and you're doing the right thing. Let's go find out exactly um, what components we need to be looking at right now. This early, if you catch it now, we can correct it. There will be no long-term issues on this. So uh, I'm glad you're working on this with them uh, to catch this early. Here's the other, here's the other thing we don't know. I have looked at, I, I'm trying to remember any. Uh, oil samples on a rebuilt DD-15. I don't know what to expect. I've only heard one guy ever on your show that had rebuilt before this. I've heard one. I mean, this is, that, that's, I mean, that, that, I mean, tell everybody else, you know, uh, go find the hood and park it, leave the keys in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, yeah. when you're ready for an in-frame on the sewer truck, just, just find a way to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah we, we don't know uh, what to expect uh, as far as what what should I be looking for in an oil sample after an in-frame on one of these because I've, I've never looked at any of them. Yeah, you don't know how – well, you don't know how good the – te- the techs don't do that many of them. You don't know how good they are at the, doing the rebuilds there at those dealerships. Uh, you don't know how good they were trained when they went to, to Detroit to be trained for it. So, I mean, there's lots of things there. There's so many complexities to these newer engines that – that that now I would just you know be hey you know find a way go ahead and get rid of it and get get something else at that point and uh, well and do the, that you know once he got this truck right this truck certainly served him well no doubt about it and I, I think oh, was, yeah he was really yeah. happy with this truck for a long time I think the only engine that I've seen rebuilt less than the DD15 are the new Volvos I haven't seen any of those rebuilt. No, no, and no, and I and I wouldn't. I mean, I've, I've, no, I've got a seventeen. Nobody I is. Yeah, I would 
field is right. I really like, but uh, but so we'll we'll go with that. We'll see what this is, and then he may just manage it until he's ready to buy a new one. He he wants to buy one truck and let it last him his last eight or nine years of driving, and yeah. that's what he would need a new one. He can um, get him a ten mile per gallon truck because he knows how to get fuel economy. You know, so, I, I um so I, he could get him a 10- yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was probably saying six to eight months ago, just wait six months and truck prices are going to come down. And I I missed the mark on that one because for some reason they're just not coming down yet, but they will. They're going to. Um, a lot of times these predictions, oh, we, we know the direction. We just don't always get the timing right. Well, there's not going to be any buyers because right now they're everybody's trying to sell their trucks and get out of it. You, you know right what's, now. I mean, you know what's interesting yeah, though, that it, it's, it's like the whole spot market contract freight thing. Contract freight is still strong. Fleets are still buying and ordering trucks and trailers. They're still breaking some records on yeah. some of this stuff. And it, it's, well, I mean, you Mike, know, I, I, um, Mike Swift, they, 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 I, Still, ninety-five percent contract freight. They said that's all that. My, so, my, uh, uh, they're still, they're still buying. The the conference that I'm going to be speaking at the two conferences next week are are primarily fleets. I mean, I, I, I we did a show the other day and had some of the speakers on, and I encouraged owner operators to come to this these two conferences if you're in the air. They're free. You're going to get a couple good meals out of it. There's a lot of great people that are going to be there. Some good speakers, but my theme really, because primarily this is a fleet event, is I'm going to be talking about the fact that I I think that the fleets are being very short-sighted right now, and they're still out raising pay to get drivers. They're still ordering trucks and trailers. It's like they're not looking around the corner, like they're not seeing what's coming. Well, all the mid-sized fleets are having to consolidate. They're having to sell out right now. Yeah. That's one thing that's already happened. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, that's, that's, you know, yeah, you got, you know, you, you got a couple of carriers that are buying a lot of other carriers right now trying to become megas. Uh, but the megas right now, like uh, Night Swift is still operating at an 81 last quarter. That's 19% profit on a on a dollar. It's that's a, pretty darn good. That's, that's Heartland. Yeah. Area. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it, it's outstanding. And, uh, and, they're still operating as though this isn't going to end that that's the mistake. I think they're making. Yeah, they're doing great. I love that. I love the fact that trucking companies have actually been profitable the last couple of years, but they're operating like this is never going to end. And somebody better tell them the, you know, party's over lights are about to go out. Um, there it's like, they're just not seeing the the only, the only indication I've seen uh, from Atri was that the number one concern for fleets, which was driver shortage, is now number two, and fuel cost is their number one concern now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm still, I, you know, driver still costs me more than than than, than the fuel, but I get exactly. nine miles per gallon. <laughs> yeah, right, and and you pay your drivers <laughs> well. The driver, yeah, the driver, the driver makes a couple thousand a week, so yeah. you know, so yeah. uh, that's not a problem. Uh, but, but yeah, I come in. I mean, I come in at about thirteen to fourteen hundred on fuel a week, so um, still, still pretty good there. So right, that makes it where you can pay the guy, very, <laughs> so, very you know, the drivers. But yeah, uh, all right. Yeah, they're well, mid-sized police. They're cool. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let uh, I'm gonna let you and Pete work on on this one because both of you have a lot of history on it. Yeah, and I'll try I'll try, I'll try to get that uh, microplast. I'll get I'll get Sam. Yeah. I'll try to get him on your technology. But he can call. <laughs> yeah, I would and, uh, I, I would and, like uh, to see it, that it, report. It, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. They're doing it. They're they're doing it as we speak. So. Good. All right. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Hey, uh, Kevin. Go ahead. Hey, so I have pulled up an old oil analysis from CAD that was done January 2021, uh, just under 1.1 million miles on the engine, 50,000 miles on the oil change. Um, he runs Catalyst, so the iron was 104, chromium was 4, nickel was 3, and, and no additional oil added in that 50,000 miles. I think I remember reviewing yeah, that sample. Was five, five was one, yeah. ten was zero. Uh, just uh, you know, for a truck that age and that kind of miles, it's, it was fantastic. I, I and I, he has a lot. Um, that yeah. was twenty-seven that right. he had on that one seat. Yeah, he um, he used to call almost every oil sample, so I I can almost remember that sample as crazy it is almost two years ago, but I remember it because it was one of the samples where I started saying, "Can you even wear out the top end of these engines?" Because I remember it was right around one point one million and zero oil consumption. It was like, "Can you even wear these things out?" And then it all went to hell. Yep, for sure. But it wasn't where that did it. No. Hmm. Nope, not at all. All right. Like I said, it just snowballed horribly. Yeah, it did. Boy, today is uh, today's oil sample day. We've got another one. Uh, let's go to Iowa. Derek, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'm going to keep up with the oil samples today. All right. Uh, so I've, it's been it's, it's been about a month ago though when I got this though, and I I I didn't even see the email, and I kind of forgot about it being out there. All but right. You say ooh. So, yeah, I said I, I kind of said ooh a little bit too. I, I said ooh too. Not horrible. I'm not really overly worried about this. Although, wait a minute, is this a fifty-one thousand on an in frame? Yes, it does. The overhead At that been, time, yep. Has the overhead been reset yet? Not yet. I I was kind of I was kind of thinking that myself. Um, I mean, it's I, I had some idle time this year. I mean, I this this summer I I pulled refrigerated and I did a lot of waiting out in Chicago this summer and then yeah. and, and, and the night too. Hey, hey. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I assume you're looking. Are you looking at the soot? Hey, yeah, I am. Hey, hey, Pete, on a Series sixty, how often? When do you guys recommend doing that first overhead? Around seventy-five to a hundred after an in-frame? No, so we still. No, uh, we like to do them much sooner. I, that, I, I know I they don't change the much on here. an overhead. Yeah, on a, yeah. A combination of fuel dilution and soot would would possibly indicate an overhead setting. And, you know, valve seat in, we're assuming the guy did it right the first time. He didn't miss something relatively inexpensive to get in there and check that. I, I would do it. The first oil sample at uh, 16, no, 26,000 miles. The soot was 1.6, not too hor. On a series 60, we like to see none. 
I mean, they're just clean engines when they're tuned and running right. Um, but at 51,000, we're up to 3.7 on the soot. And that's 25,000 miles on the oil itself. So I, I'd get back in and do that overhead. Okay. I could do that. Is it, The iron, I, I run Catalyst. It's, I, I, I've been on kind of like at every other tank kind of set up. You know, the, the, um, is that 101 on the iron? Yeah, it, it, there's going to be a little bit of break-in uh, metal there. We've got a little bit of chromium, okay. a little bit of... Do we have any tin? Yeah, we've got some tin. Those at this point on that engine, I would still consider that some break-in material, and I wouldn't be too worried about that. So then I wouldn't worry about the iron because of the catalyst. We know that's elevating it. I I just think this, you know, get the overhead set on this. I think it's going to take care of it. Okay. I I can live with that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was hoping. I, I was hoping. To, I mean, like you said, the the one point six. I mean, I, I at that time I was like, well, you know, maybe it ain't too bad a shape. I I I called this that that sample in, and I think at that time you said, yeah, it looks like they did a a good clean job on it. Exactly. So, but yeah, I but, yeah, I I got an issue with taking it and just running the overhead on it. That, yeah, the the soot at fun. that point one point six didn't worry me at all. Looked like a, a really nice clean job they did on it. But when it more than doubles in the next twenty five thousand miles, let's go reset that. Okay, I uh, will get to work on that. All right, sounds good. And we'll take a look at the next sample. I have a feeling Thanks. that'll that'll go away. And if it doesn't, then we can look at things like you know intake exhaust, some other things. But right now, it seems like that would be overhead. Let's uh, let's go to Georgia. Matt, welcome to the program. Ah, uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I got a question. Uh, I got a 2017 T680 pack car motor in it, uh, and I have replaced the DEF sensor. I'm guessing on the filter housing. And I've had, I've done it twice now in the last month or so. Uh, I was told that it was a poor design by Packard and that it gets so hot that causes the issues. Um, What I was wondering is, are we able to make our own wire harness, make it a little bit longer to get that sensor away from that issue? Or would that cause other... Uh, Leroy, did you go to sleep back findings. there? you want to jump in and help us with this one? No, I was waiting for him to finish. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, which sensor are they, re- are they replacing? Uh, I don't have it with me. Um, let's see if I got... Uh, There's a few in there. So. It just... Uh, the only thing that it says is a pressure sensor. It just says pressure sensor. Yeah. Yeah. Not. I don't think there's really any pressure sensors in the depth tank, unless it's the the depth pressure, like up it, on the um, not in the tank, but on the line, maybe. Is that where you're? Yeah. It, well, this. It, it's it, they're seeing this right off of the filter. I'm not, I'm, I'm not too familiar with this whole DPF stuff. So, and 
it, it's it's crazy because it's cost me almost a week of downtime now in the last month getting this thing fixed twice. And they're saying the sensor overheats or they're saying the wiring overheats? Uh, the wiring. It, it, it has something to do with the wiring overheating and it going into the sensor and causing the sensor to malfunction. I mean, if it's just the wiring, yeah, it's easy enough to, A, you know, make it longer if we have to reroute it around something that's not hot. B, we can put some insulation around it um, and even insulate the sensor itself. Uh, there's a company that makes all sorts of, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but they make all sorts of um, insulation products for different types of things, different thickness, different materials. Um, it's more of a specialized place. It's not just like a trucking company. They just make insulating materials. I would probably, I don't know what that looks like there, but yeah, we can get a plug for it. We can make it longer. We can insulate it. We can uh, also put like some sort of heat shield over the sensor. If that's what the issue is, yeah, that's not a problem to make sense. Yeah, and this wire harness has a, a heat shield around it, the, the silver insulation going around it. Hmm. Yeah, they're saying that's the issue then. Yeah, we can we can try to address it and see if it makes any better. I'm not familiar with that particular uh, uh, failure, so... Okay, yeah, I just I wasn't sure if it was gonna throw off readings or not and all of a sudden, you know, no, something catches on fire and <laughs> all right, yeah, yeah, no, I'm it's not gonna fire long enough to have any issues, so it's not gonna mess up the reading or anything like that. Okay. I I thank you very much. I'm gonna bring that up because it happened again last night. I got the the mill light on for the same thing, so I would yeah. talk to him about maybe running longer wires and getting a different insulation on there. Okay, sounds yeah. good. Or just more of it. There you, you go. Come on. I, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. You're welcome. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Hey, you're back where you belong. Um, yeah, I'm in Oklahoma. There you I go. I got one more delivery, and then I'm going home. So uh, there you go. So when I when I when I left there last week, and I got the uh, got over to Toledo and put a load of unaerodynamic Jeep Wranglers and Gladiators on. It don't matter you put them on frontwards or backwards; they square. <laughs> so. So my my fuel and it was windy as all get up between Toledo and Houston on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So my fuel mileage was five point six on Friday. No, four point six on Friday, four point five on Saturday. I didn't buy fuel on Sunday, but reloaded. Delivered and then reloaded another load of Jeeps yesterday and then head back north. Well, the weather turned around and I still had a headwind going back north. <laughs> and then I was at 4.88. So, but I had, um, I have a solution. Just refuse to haul, don't hold Jeep. just refuse <laughs> to haul anything except Maseratis. No, I don't want to do that. Okay. You need enclosed. A lot of the time you need an enclosed for that, so that's a whole lot more money. But What about a Prius? Relative. You get a whole bunch of them. They're aerodynamic, <laughs> and they're small. 
<laughs> so, but uh, Friday Friday afternoon, I get a check engine light come on, and it was the crankcase pressure. Well, then a couple of minutes later, it would go off, and it's been doing it come on, and, it's, and sometimes I only stay on for 30 seconds, and then it goes straight off, but I'm thinking maybe it's just a bad sensor or wiring or something, maybe. So. Is this an ISX? Yeah, ISX 2350. Wasn't there an issue with some sort of a breather or a filter that clogs on those? No, I had that cleaned the yeah. other day, so that wasn't the problem. So Okay. Yeah, yeah it, it depends on what the code is for. If the code says that it's like data incorrect or too high or something like that, then, you know, that could be a plug filter or something. But if it's some sort of circuit high or circuit low code, then, yeah, it's either the wiring or the sensor. Okay, yeah, well, that's what Adam said the other day, but I can't remember. Yeah. You guys. I don't know if you guys looked at it or not, but it's still because it started coming on the week before when I came up there. And, and it was off on Thursday when I left and then Friday afternoon at pop back up and it on and off ever since. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then one, uh, one other question I got the, the tap on the, the little pet cock on the bottom hose on the radiator. It's dripping a little bit about probably only four ounces a day, maybe, but, do you think if I sprayed flex seal, it would be enough to stop that leak, <laughs> Paul, that little drip? <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> as soon as you started talking about this, I was going to say, in all the trucks I've ever opened, I don't think I've ever touched that thing. Spray a bunch of flex seal on it and be done with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it was leaking when I went in there, but they, had, you know, put a new radiator in, so they had everything out and then um i didn't notice it on friday when i did my pre-trip but i was parked in a gravel lot but then saturday i noticed it and it's like oh but it's probably only a few ounces a day that it's leaked out but coolant it's like bs a little bit goes a long way so but i, I was thinking i'll because i don't really want to drain the coolant just to replace that tube no. so. I'll try the flex seal thing first. You, you know what that just reminded me of? Not that it's the same issue at all, but I, I was just thinking about the bottom. Remember, we went through, I forget what years this was, um, the Volvo charger coolers used to go into the bottom of the charger cooler and come out at the top, but they didn't go into the top like everybody else. And every now and then on a really cold morning, people would call and their Volvos wouldn't start. The condensation would settle, oh, yeah, they had, settle down in there and freeze. Freeze yeah. in the bottom. Yeah, I forgot all about that yeah. one. Yeah, so some people thought, we've got a cure for this. We'll drill a hole in the bottom of it so the, cool, well, the, the <laughs> condensation right. could you're, drop out. You're drop right. Out. People were doing that. That's right. That I forgot about that part. But the other reason why it was so hard to figure out was they couldn't get it started. They'd tow it into the shop, and before they could even get a chance to work on it, it would start because it would thaw out. Yeah, thought out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one took a while to figure yeah. out. And then you're right, people started drilling holes down there to let the water out. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So even even though my fuel my fuel mileage sucked on the weekend, 
my 90 day average is still at 5.63. So that's I'm awesome. still pretty happy with that. That's awesome. All the other call hard yeah. car haulers probably call you a liar. My pants are not on fire. There you go. All right. So. We will talk to you again soon. We're going to roll through the calls here. We're off to Arizona. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Kevin. Say, i got something going on with me, and I can't stay awake. It saved my life. Um, I got stopped yesterday because I was swerving all over by the Arizona police, Ooh. and they thought it was drugs. That's not good. And uh, they couldn't even get me to pull over. I, I just, he says he finally shut his spotlight at me, and I started to pull over. Um, but I, I got out of the truck and I couldn't even stand up. Okay. So normally we would, you know, take this on a Wednesday, but I'm going to take this call today because I, I want to help you with this is important and I don't want to let this go another day. Um, give me some history. How old are you? I'm 60. Okay. And what's your medical oh. history like? Have you, uh, what's your diet like now? I, I don't need any bread whatsoever. Wheat. Okay, good. So I cut you, that out of my diet. Good. And, and did you get good results you from know, that when you when you made that change? Oh yeah, good. yeah. And, uh, and they ran every test they could at the at the hospital last night. Yeah, you know, going, and everything come out normal. Going to the hospital for things like this, unless it's something obvious like narcolepsy, and uh, it's kind of like taking a truck to any garage and asking them why you're not getting good fuel economy. You're just not going to get a good answer from them. Um, they don't deal with this. So are you on any kind of medications? No. No medications? Nope. Um, had- no medication whatsoever. What? Tell me what your schedule's like. Well, I uh, I run reefer, so I, I've run COVID emergency for the last since COVID started, and I've I've run really hard. I've run two hundred thousand miles a year and home every after every load. You know, so you're uh, but so you, you, you've been that's. You've been pushing. Um, yeah. So how about your sleep patterns themselves? So you're sleepy while you're driving. Do you have any problems going to sleep and staying asleep when you're supposed to be sleeping? No, I fall asleep in two minutes. That's a not a good sign. That's actually not. You know, we don't want to take a half hour to fall asleep but we don't want to fall asleep in two minutes. That is a, a pretty clear sign that your body is sleep deprived. Do you use any kind of a wearable device that could measure your sleep? Okay. Uh, Jim, Where I, you, can I find you, that? Hold on. You broke up a little bit. I didn't hear the answer. Are you wearing any kind of a, a watch or anything that measures sleep? No, okay. no, I'm not. So I'll give you two options here because this this is going to be the first step to... I, I can tell you what's going on. You're sleep deprived. You are probably in what we refer to as adrenal fatigue. 
So those two things will absolutely cause this. And I will promise you, you could go spend $30,000 at doctors and hospitals. They won't come up with this. They just won't. Um, but I, I think we could probably spot this pretty quickly. So two options here. If we want a cheap way to measure your sleep and, and it won't do much more than that, you can probably go buy a Fitbit these days for $69. And, and it'll do a pretty darn good job of measuring oh. sleep. Um, if we, what is this again? What did you call it? Fitbit. F-I-T-B-I-T. You can, you can pick these things up in, you know, Best Buy, probably even I would imagine Walmart. Um, they've been around forever. They're fairly cheap. I've tested a bunch of them. For a cheap device, they work. For sleep, they'll work good. And it'll do other things. It'll count your steps during the okay. day and, you know, measure your pulse all day long. And they're pretty cool little devices for what you're going to spend on them. Ultimately, if we yeah. really, if, if this turns out to be more than just sleep deprivation, if it turns out to be some adrenal fatigue and stress related, um, and even if you tell me, oh, no, I'm the most laid back guy in the world, stress doesn't bother me, uh, it does, it bothers everybody. Even the people that are really laid back don't, sometimes they're the worst because they just don't think they're stressed and it's hard to convince them that they are, even though all the evidence is there. If it turns out to be that, then I, I would love if you had something like the, uh, the Garmin diesel watch that I helped them develop, but you're, those are in the $400 range. So I, I really don't want to go out and spend $400 of your money for something you really didn't want. So I, I would say grab a cheap Fitbit right now, $69, $89, whatever they are these days. Um, start measuring the sleep yep. and do a NutriQ with us. And just from the NutriQ okay. alone, I'll probably be able to pull out the adrenal fatigue and what's going on there. And, and then once we verify that, I'm about 90% sure I'm going to be right. Um, once we verify that, we can fix this. I, I just did it myself. I, I'm in the middle of tomorrow. We're going to do the final episode of me working on my own sleep. Okay. But, well, but as that, soon as I get home, I'll, yeah, I'll that, do that, this. That's what's going on here. Your your sleep quality is poor. Falling asleep that fast is a pretty good indication. And then after knowing what your driving schedule has been like, uh, I'm going to guess there's some adrenal fatigue going on there as well. Yeah, my driving has been wild. Yeah, and that'll do it. I mean, the, the world's stressful anyway. With all the politics and the crime and the crap going on, there hardly ever seems to be any good news these days. That's stressing everybody out. Much no, I, I, I stopped watching. I stopped well, listening to the news a long time ago. <laughs> good. But you know what? My, my, it, it, my life is stressful enough. I don't exactly. need to listen yeah, to that. Exactly. You know? And that, that's one of the things I tell people right off the bat is, is the first thing you should do is just stop watching the news. So I'm glad you did that. But life, life's stressful. You were pushing hard on the driving side of things. And I, I have a feeling, and when you get to that point, which is what happened to me, I mean, the, the final thing that kind of pushed me over the edge, I had already been struggling with sleep, but I was managing to deal with it because I know how. Um, the whole issue is serious. I mean, it was a major change for us. I mean, we had to change our whole business model. 
Um, you know, we had to work on developing the show. We're still building technology. I mean, this has been, as much as I say, I, I love the new format. I love this new show. Uh, I love that I don't have commercials and I can oh, take yeah, lots of time. Oh, yeah, I love with, it too. Yeah, I can take lots of time with people. We never feel like we're rushed. Um, it's still been very stressful. You know, if I didn't understand stress, I would have said, oh, no, it was the opposite. You know, I, I, I'm so much happier now. I'm much more relaxed when I'm on the air. But overall, my whole life got kind of stressful. I mean, I had that contract for 15 years. It took me five years to get it. So that was a pretty stressful event. And then just having to do all the new work that we weren't planning on doing. You know, we had all kinds of projects we were working on and I was excited about. And all of a sudden I had to put them all aside and start a whole bunch of new projects that we had never thought we would be doing. It's been a pretty stressful year for me. And it got to the point where my sleep was really, really bad. Bad enough that I had to bring in somebody to help me with it. So that's the show we're going to record tomorrow, and then we're going to release all three parts of it. I went and worked with a, uh, a practitioner that specializes in something called adaptogens and how to use them to, to solve these kinds of problems. And uh, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag yet, but the results have been pretty spectacular. So we, well, we, we can as, fix as this for you. As I make it home, I'll, I'll do that new. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I really don't want to spend the $20,000 for the sleep, sleep apnea. This is not sleep apnea. I, I'm sorry, it's not. And I know that's the road they're going to go down and they're going to do the testing. And you're right, it's expensive. And here's the other problem in trucking. You get stuck in that, you know, I have a company right now um, that does a bunch of sleep study kind of stuff in trucking and they keep sending us emails because they want to come on the air. And I said, absolutely not. And I even told them, look, you don't want to be on the air with me. Most of the sleep study, sleep apnea thing in trucking is a scam and it's a money grab. You, you don't want to be on the air with yeah. me. Um, I don't believe in this stuff. And, and it's not that sleep apnea doesn't exist. It does. We can solve it. They'll tell you you can't. But once you get stuck in that system, I know people who have to wear the CPAP every night and it reports to their doctor whether they wore it or not. Wow. Yeah. That's how restrictive this can get. So you don't want to go anywhere near that kind of testing when you're a driver. No. Yeah, we can fix it without it. If it tur- if it does turn out to be sleep apnea, we'll know that too. Okay. Okay. I don't think it is though. So get 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 a Fitbit and do the NutriQ and we'll be talking soon. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Thanks. You're Thanks, welcome. Kip. Let's uh let's go to Idaho. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey gentlemen. Uh just wanted to give you an update on the T eight hundred. It's been a month, what a month and a week. Okay. But uh, I can't get it. I can't get it above nine hundred now. Uh, so the ter- two external air cleaners. I remember. And this. the six-inch pipes going into the eighty-millimeter turbo. Bruce and, solved it. Oh, the air filters were restricting everything. Really? 
Yes. Wow. I mean, so, I only had the one air filter, and oh, it, it just restricted it so much that that pyrometer just keep climbing. This thing's tuned pretty hot, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's I a re- heavy haul truck. I, I remember this one, and I, yeah, I do remember. So what'd you do? So, uh, my, my truck, the VIN didn't match anything. So I went and found another truck that was the same year that had the external air cleaners, used that VIN, ordered all the piping, changed the piping from the five inch to the six inch, uh, seven inch inlets and to six inch pipe all the way to the turbo, which is five inch. So it goes down into the five inch. And uh, it, it solved it. It just took hey. a long time to get all the parts. Hey, the hey. fenders, the fenders were the hardest thing. The quarter fenders. Excellent. Hey, hey, Bruce. I just realized um, the last time I asked you to mute yourself, somebody must have muted you on our board. I didn't even realize it because I was wandering around not paying attention. Are you there still? I'm. I'm here. I had to get off for about eight minutes. Oh God. So okay. I'm back. So did you hear this call? You hit this one right on the head. Yeah, I heard. I was in a series of curves, and I remember the uh, T800 running hot, and we talked about the air filters and how we did the two under the hood and had them running east and west versus north and south. And But I'm glad to hear that fixed it. It did. It did. It took a lot of work, uh, quite a bit of money, but it's well worth it. There you uh, go. Yeah, the truck makes really good money, so it, it's well worth it. So excellent. There's some saying about that, right? Uh, wasn't the old saying? It, so, you know, the old saying was Rome wasn't built overnight. And, um, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after <laughs> the sweetness of a low price is forgotten. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you did it right. Yep. I saved us enough money just doing it myself that it'll pay for itself real fast. So excellent. That's right. Excellent. Uh, you know, it, it ha- took longer to paint the fenders and get the fenders than it did anything else. Is that right? Yeah. You know how how yeah because many... they're half fenders, so the hoods cut. Right. How many shops or mechanics would have been chasing water as this problem, overheating? It's the first thing everybody thinks of, right? Radiators, water pumps, something's going. Yeah, they would have chased it forever. I took it to two and give up, and I decided, you know what? You guys are full of knowledge. I'm just going to throw it out there and got it the first try. Excellent. Without even seeing the truck. <laughs> so, very impressed. Very happy. Uh, like I said, I can, it, it goes to nine but on a real hard pull, but it nine. goes right back down. Wow. It stays around It stays around 600 degrees and just stays right there. And, I mean, we don't run fast, of course. I mean, you can't with that much weight. It's just, that would be suicide. But, uh you know, it, it does its job. It does very well. I'm very impressed. Excellent. Very Excellent. impressed. Glad to hear. And it. I'm going to. I am going to find. I am going to find a load. We're buying a smaller RGN. So I'm going to find a load coming out to Pittsburgh, and I just want them to go over this thing from top to bottom, even though it's got a new motor. 
the mechanic just I don't trust him. What's uh? Hey, uh, hey Bruce, so, what what's that inspection called? The Hawkeye report. The Hawkeye report. That's Adam. A, yeah. That's what you want. He sees yep, everything. I, just, I want this thing. <laughs> he does. I want it gone through from top to bottom. Uh, I am going to take it to go to the dyno next week just to see exactly how much horsepower I'm putting to the ground. Uh, of course, like I say, it's a heavy haul truck, so everything on it has been beefed up. But yeah. Still, I don't need... I don't. I don't need nine hundred horsepower. <laughs> no, you don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't drive. I don't drive fast enough for nine hundred horsepower. There you go. Nobody needs nine hundred, right? So I don't. I don't know how far Cat will take it when they when they put their tune in, but she just. Uh, oh, and the fuel mileage increased. Good. Even doing heavy haul. Yeah. Good. I got a full full mile to the gallon in the last two weeks. I, that I'm not surprised about at all. Starve, starve a diesel engine for for air, and it's just not happy. Yeah, I I was lucky to get four miles to the gallon. Of course, like I said, wow. we're very heavy, right? And we're right. wide and yeah. tall. And now I'm getting I'm getting over five. That's outstanding. I've and, never gotten over five with this truck. And in today's world, that is a huge savings. When you go to from four to five. That is huge when it comes to money. I'm sure you see it every time you pull up to the pump. Well, oh, I do. Yeah, I do. Excellent. I, and well, I mean, when I say forage, it it averaged last year at three point eight miles per gallon, and that's what it averaged. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and now you're seeing numbers around five. That's outstanding. So, yeah, and so what I'm going to just continue doing is I'm going to see what the rest of this year does because it's winter time and. It's, uh, we've already got a little bit of snow, not enough to accumulate to nothing, but it's getting colder. So I know it's going to go down a little bit, but I'll keep track of it for a year and see where we're at on the year to date. And I'll, uh, I'll let you guys know on that too. Well, thank you for this the, be uh, a good test the for our, This would be a good test yeah. for our max knowledge with the knowledge improver that we're testing. Yeah. I, you know what? I've run the catalyst. I'll run the max mileage with it. There you go. I already run the catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. This truck has never okay, seen a day without it. Run the mileage improver with it, and let's see what happens. Excellent. Okay. I'll get online and order it, and we'll just start running that, too. And uh, right. I just I can't thank you guys enough. Good good stuff. Thanks for the feedback. Is the exhaust system? I, I forget the exhaust system. You Are you dual exhaust? I am. I am dual exhaust, no muffler. No mufflers, okay. All right, sounds good. Good, good. excellent. No mufflers, and actually the exhaust is getting ready. We're going back in, uh, not, I think, what is three weeks from now, we're going back in, and they're going to take and widen all that exhaust all the way to the stack. That way it's all going to be all new. I'm going to get rid okay. of the place pipe and all that. So Good, good. It, it, the truck just works too hard. There you it go. Just, it just works too hard. And when you got a million, when you got a million and a half dollar trader, the truck's got to move. Yes, that's right. That's right. Mission critical. Oh, it is. And yep. I, I can't thank you guys enough. You yeah, are. you can't, you can't rent a heavy haul truck. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. That's a good point. 
I had never really thought about that, but that's a good point. Yeah, you have to have a twenty thousand pound tag. You have to have a twenty thousand right. pound front axle, and right, yeah. I'm, I, I, well, I'm pulling thirteen axle steerable. I'd never really so, thought about that. That's a yeah. If that's a big yeah. issue for you, then yeah, you you can't rent one. Yeah, that's why we were thinking about buying another truck just for a backup, just yeah. in case. Yeah. Yeah, there was a time I kept a backup. You know, it was but just I'm, one of I'm, those things. I'm gonna that, wait for I'm gonna wait for Joel. There you go. All right. I'm we, waiting for Joel to, to give me the report on what that Bobo does doing that heavy haul. Yeah, he's gonna go up to Michigan and do that for a little while, so we'll we'll see how that works out. Yeah, and so I'm I'm waiting until after that before I go and order a new truck. Excellent. Excellent. All right. We will, we will talk to you again soon. Don't you love calls like that, Bruce? Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice when, when you give somebody advice and they do it and it works out and it works. So boys, you give so much advice all the time and people don't take the time to do it. And, and it's, it's nice when people follow through. And you can tell he did it right. He really took his time and he did it right. Yes. And and it, it was worth it. So and and he did the work himself, so it saved him a bunch of money. I just love that call. Let's uh let's go to Missouri. David, welcome to the program. All right, thanks for taking my call. What's on your mind you today? Yeah. Hey, um <clears throat> I got a couple things I wanted to talk before I talked to Leroy, but um that Paul was talking about using that uh, silicone, that uh, sealer. I had a, my some timber taken out of my property, and the skier they used kept developing a leak, and they used that stuff under their uh, radiator, and it worked. It, it, it is pretty incredible stuff. The guy, you know, the Phil Swift commercial thing kind of drives me crazy. He's kind of annoying, but uh, I, I keep, yeah. I, like, I have a whole closet full of Flex Seal stuff. It comes in pretty handy. Yeah. Also, uh, there's a place, the Freightliner dealership down in Sykeston, Missouri. They're rebuilding the uh, DD15s. I was going to buy a, a Freightliner, and I was walking through the shop and looking. And uh, I started talking to the mechanics to get to know them a little bit because I'm from that area. Anyway, so they um, they were talking to this company there in Sykeston that was refreshing our motors because they didn't want to spend the money for the new trucks. And uh, anyway, so just yeah, that, that's, putting it out there. Yeah, they're doing it. that's interesting because we just, we just haven't seen that many of them. For, for one thing, they just never seem to wear out the cylinder kits. I mean, these things never seem to use any oil, so... Uh, we just don't see that many rebuilds. Yeah. Uh, well, I decided to keep my truck anyway. So um, this question is for Leroy. Um, he did the power boost on this Volvo, the D13. It's a, that brown uh, truck, the D, uh, 2012 780. And uh, I've had it in the shop twice. It still has an issue about using the cruise. Whenever I put the cruise control on, it um, just starts at about 3,300 pounds of boost. It will just start stuttering. or It acts like it's either starving for fuel or the turbo's not working. But I can do it on the foot and boost up to 4,200 pounds and, or 42 pounds, and it'll still work. Yeah, I remember Hello. that ping back multiple times. 
Um, yeah. So after that last one that we did, it's still doing it out there? Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, so I'm just trying to narrow that. Go ahead. I'm just trying to figure out what it would be. I mean, I don't understand. I'm going to have the uh, the wire harness replaced. There, you know, Vogel saying it's probably going to be a um, too much boosting for the uh, turbo, but why would it boost on my foot? <laughs> I don't understand that. Yeah, it's, Wait, it's some sort of torque turbo. limit in a cruise control mode. What year is this? 2012. And it's a uh, D13, right? Yeah. Is that the... That's got a VGT, right, Leroy? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do we really get 42 pounds of boost out of those things? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, I'm no, kind that's of what's coming up on your scan gauge. That's what's your scan oh, gauge show. Yeah, It'll don't, go up to 43 pounds. Yeah, that's not accurate. Don't... I. I it could be uh, sometimes the scan gauge isn't accurate for boost, and there is a setting in there that we can change and sometimes makes it more accurate. But I, I would not go by that as your boost gauge. You need a mechanical boost gauge in there. There's no way this thing's making 42 pounds oh. of boost. All right. Yeah, well. because I don't, if I remember correctly, it's not even set up that terribly hot either. I right. think it's only like 500 wheel or something like that. I think you got it like 550 or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it oh, was. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's not, not terribly hot. But yeah, I over the last couple of renditions, yours is the one, maybe it's just because it's a 2012, but yours is the one that's acting up in cruise. And I've slowly been trying to, um, you know, Wolf from Siberia thing, I'm taking away certain <laughs> areas and trying to figure out, what is it this area? Is it this area? Like, what's going on here? It's some sort of cruise limit, and I feel like last time it was here, we couldn't get it to do it, but maybe we just need to try again. So, Okay, well, I didn't know. Um, and then another thing is to... Uh, I bought some of that... Uh, I, Bruce, I'm the one that put that that uh, max... that Not the max mileage, but the other stuff in there. The, the fuel mileage stuff you've got. I put it in my motorcycle and my lawnmower and all that stuff. You remember that call? Yes, yes. <laughs> it, my motorcycle's still running. I'm still using it. Uh, my pickup, my uh, 250 still runs real good. My Everything I put it in still runs real well. I was running my motorcycle while I was home about a week or so ago. I mean, it still runs like a skull of cat, so I don't know what the, what the issue. I mean, why would you get for it? So that was the mileage improver. You put it in the gasoline. Wow. Right. Yeah. Not supposed to work in there. Yeah, I know. But anyway, I didn't want to throw all that gasoline away. Um, I mean, I got like, I got, I got like 40 or 50 gallons of that stuff at the house. I put it all in my tanks and not thinking anything about it. It wouldn't be any good for because the max mileage is in it too. Yeah. So anyway. Oh, and you know what? When, when the max mileage catalyst comes out with the mileage improver that's not going to be good for gasoline supposedly but maybe you're going to prove us wrong well i'm i'm not going to put any more in there after i get this stuff um i'll probably end up running most of it through my pickup truck but um so we're, so we're going to have to have the standard max mileage for those of us that love it in gasoline 
gasoline alive again, just like what we had back in the 60s. When we'd buy that 260 Sunoco, it was alive, and the max mileage catalyst kind of makes the gasoline alive. It's right. nice to be able just to push a little on the throttle and have something happen. Yeah, that sure does make my heart up alive, but <laughs> anyway, I just thought I'd put it out there. I, um, you told me to keep up with you all that, so. Yep. All right. Yeah, That's appreciate what's going on with it. Yep. Thanks for the call. Thank all right. We are going to head off to speak to Lyle in Rutherford, Oklahoma. Lyle, where's Rutherford? I didn't know there was a Rutherford in Oklahoma. Uh, it's supposed to be Weatherford. Weatherford. I didn't think there was a Rutherford. Okay, got it. All right. Now I know where you are. What's on your mind today? Well, I was wondering if you could help me with my wife. She's mad at me. No. <laughs> call, call Dr. Phil. <laughs> well, the, the reason I said that is because of your earlier call when you told that guy that uh, in two minutes he fell asleep and that's bad. Well, my wife's mad at me for my whole life of our married life because I've always fell asleep in two minutes. That's just it, the way I go to sleep. It's almost now. You may be an exception, but since this guy has a sleep problem, then I'm going to f- focus in on that. But falling asleep that fast is almost always a sign you're sleep deprived. That's interesting. I just always fell asleep quick. Our whole family always has. That's not why I called, but anyway. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So I've got a 2000 Cummins ISX uh, Signature Series 600. I have a brand new long block with about 50,000 miles on it. We put a new, when we put it all together, of course, all the accessories were my old accessories, except most of them were new as well. As well as the, I'm not sure what you call that, but the front, the front, uh, that holds everything, the crankshaft and the front covers, that whole piece we put on. Right. The problem is the front cover leaks. It leaked on the old engine and it's leaking on this engine. How do we solve that issue? It's not, it's leaking a gallon every two weeks. That's actually a pretty big leak. That's a well, I, I thought so too. So, so it, it, and, and you know that that's all a leak, like you have big puddles on the ground when it leaks? Right there below it, yes. Okay. And the only reason I say that is we lots have of, issues before, but I've got all that Yeah, the reason I say that is because almost everybody who calls me and says, my truck's leaking a gallon every two days. And I'm like, no, it's burning, you know, 90% of that. It's leaking a little bit. But if you actually can see a lot of oil, then that that's, that's a leak. And, it, and it's right there at where the filler tube bolt bolts on. That bolt right there on the driver's side, right at the edge of the engine. And on the old engine and this engine. Now, it's not as bad as the old engine was, but still the same issue. Wait a minute. These are two separate blocks, right? Two different engines. They are. That's really bizarre. So it's a brand new block, brand new head, 
and that front cover piece, the four inch wide that covers the whole front of the engine, that's a different piece than the old one. So I'm not, I would thought we'd have that all solved. You would think so. But it's not. Anybody have any ideas? And they, they know the engine because I had the engine at uh, Pittsburgh Power when I first bought it. We put on the polished exhaust and the crankshaft dampener. And Bruce said when we were sitting there listening to it running, he said, they said this thing wouldn't run smooth. I don't know if you remember that or not. But. So I, I left the, we transferred that crankshaft balancer onto the new engine as well as the polished exhaust. Now I've got the pre-flow muffler all up there. Is it, you know, I, I can't really picture everything that's right there where you're talking about. Is it possible that it's coming from somewhere else just slightly higher than that spot? Well, there's nothing else above it. I mean, the cover, the bolt that holds, if, this, if they can visualize this engine, this has the filler tube at the front of the engine instead of the top. And so that filler tube has a bracket that holds that tube to the front of the engine. And there's one bolt that goes in there to hold that bracket. And that's where it's leaking, is right there at that. Not, I can't, I don't think it's a bolt hole, it's actually coming out from under the cover. When I clean the engine off. This is. Uh, this is so odd because there are no common parts. The odds of having all different parts in that area and having the same leak seem like astronomical to me. Is there any way oil could be coming out of that tube itself? Well, the tube is attached lower down. It goes into the engine lower. No, I know. But I, the front cover. I, is there any way oil could be coming up that tube while it's running and leaking out of the tube? Is there any way you could email us a picture of that? Of the leak? I could. Is that would help. To me, and I'm just first And then go over it. Now, I've had bolts on front covers where they actually leaked out of the bolt for whatever reason. We would take the bolt out, break clean the hole real well, dry it up, silicone it up, put it back in, let it dry overnight, and took care of the problem. So I've seen that happen before on some other engines for whatever reason. And there was no crack or bolt was the right lane. There's no reason for that to happen, but we have seen that happen. Okay. Well, that that bolt to hold that bracket would be a question for me. Uh, but it, when I clean it to see, you know, run it for a little bit, see where it's leaking, it seems to be coming from underneath the cover there. Now, and then it could be the the two covers meet. There's only an eighth of an inch between the two covers, the lower bottom front cover and the upper top front cover, where they meat as different it's the same mating surface right but it looks to me like it's coming out of the top of the front cover not the lower cover coming up 
Right. And I wash it off. But I can send a picture. One other question. On the when I go under power, uh, as the guy mentioned earlier, it sounds to me like it flutters under power. As soon as I get out of it, evens out and runs smooth again. Is it possible that that's a loose connection around the yeah. actuators? Yeah, I mean, a, a flutter or any sort of stumble or anything like that could be anything from a loose connection to a programming issue to a mechanical or something. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible it's a connection. It's just kind of hard to say until we start to get try to figure out what to do. But it'd be hard to test for though, wouldn't it? It doesn't do until you're under pressure. Uh, what was that? It would be kind of hard to test for, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, the only time it does is when I'm under power. Yeah. I mean, when we put it on our dyno, we can put it under power and then slowly start to isolate. You know, is it this? We wiggle this around, the wires around, we look at the connectors, make sure there's no oil in the connectors. Uh, see what the ECM is doing. It's, uh, you know, it's just, you got to narrow things down a little bit by trial and error. You kind of start with the most obvious. By trial and error, you kind of work down to, you know, so you get rid of all the options. Okay. And where do I need to send this picture to? Uh, send it to me. My email is at pittsburghtower.com. Okay. It probably won't be today, but I'll get that. Don't, yeah, don't forget the H. Don't forget the H after Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. I'll do that. Thank you. I appreciate your help. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. And that is going to wrap up the calls. I think we are done for the day. Anybody have anything they want to close with? I don't have anything. No. I don't have anything. Bruce. An interesting day. It was. It was a great day. Very interesting day. Thank you, guys, as always. Yeah. All right. We will uh, yeah, of course. We'll wrap it up then, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Kevin? Yes, Bruce? You need to let me know about that new sleep deal you're doing, because I need it bad. Bruce, I, um, my average sleep time... Uh, no matter how much time I tried to spend in bed, which if I can't sleep, I'll usually just get out of bed. Uh, but no matter how much time I tried to spend in bed, my average sleep time had dropped down to four hours and 20 minutes a night. That was it. Um, on Sunday night, so yesterday morning when I woke up, seven hours and 53 minutes. I had an hour and 20 wow. minutes of deep sleep, an hour and something of REM sleep. You know what else changed? I have not dreamt in over a year, and I had crazy wild dreams this morning. First time in a year. Wow. I yeah. dream too much. I don't I, want to dream. Yeah, I don't dream at all when my sleep gets that bad. I don't get any REM sleep, and that's when you dream is during REM sleep, and I just wasn't getting any. And even when I got it, it was too short and, and zero dreams. I haven't had a dream in over a year. Had some wild dreams this morning. It was kind of, it was actually kind of nice uh, to have that. So 
Um, we're going to be recording the uh, last episode. I'm working with that, that other practitioner on this tomorrow. So we'll be releasing the whole episode. The thing about this, though, um, it's, not, it's never a one-size-fits-all. This is one where we really have to customize the adaptogens that we're using. There's like 27 different adaptogens, and based on body type and the issues that are going on and all kinds of other things, you kind of customize these adaptogens. So that's, that's the part I'm going to have to learn. I mean, I'm working with a practitioner that's been doing this for years, and she actually wrote the book about them. So I, I've got to learn that. If I'm going to be able to help somebody else with this, I've got to learn all that. So that's what I'm working on. All right. Please keep me informed. You, you will be the first, I promise. All right. All right. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. We are going to wrap this up. Bye-bye. We will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Um, oh, we have a guest tomorrow too. Tomorrow's a big day for Destination Health. We have a guest on right at the open, uh, Kara Collier. She's been with us before. She is the nutritionist from a company called NutriSense. NutriSense makes, um, continuous glucose monitors and software to track, uh, blood sugar. I'm wearing the monitor now. I put one on about a week ago. Uh, Lisa's wearing one this time, so we're both testing it. I've used these monitors on and off for several years now. We've had them on the show before. I, I think everybody should do this. I really do. I think everybody should should get at least a month. I, um, I don't remember the shortest time you can get. We can find that all out tomorrow. Don't need a doctor's prescription. Don't need to go into any kind of an office visit. You sign up for a program. They send you a sensor. The sen- each sensor lasts two weeks. You put it on, and then you can scan that sensor with your phone whenever you want. You have to do it at least once every eight hours if you want, you know, uninterrupted. If you miss the eight-hour mark, all that happens is the next time you scan, you'll just see a, a gap in there. Uh, the sensor can only hold eight hours worth of information. So just scan it with your phone. It takes 10 seconds. You open up your phone, hold it by the sensor. It reads your blood sugar every 15 minutes, at least, sometimes even more often. So uh, it's really, really interesting. I was even shocked by my results this time. Uh, some things have changed for me in blood sugar in a good way. So we'll talk about that tomorrow on, I'm getting these two mixed up, on Destination Health, the live show right at the open. Then later on tomorrow, we're going to be recording the final episode of the uh, sleep protocol uh, with Danielle from Four Sigmatic. And then we will release all three episodes on the app. So a lot going on tomorrow for Destination Health. We will see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.